I, I would never put the word aggressive in my class. Do you know why? It's baked in the cake. <laughs> Being aggressive is baked in the cake. If you're a firefighter, by default, you are moving with intentionality, with purpose, and there is tremendous risk in that movement. I don't mm. need to embellish in it anyway. I don't need to. I don't need to add to that. It's baked in the cake. The fire companies that are good are moving with purpose, intention, and competence, and training. That's that's how I feel about the stuff that we do. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. This is Weekly Scrap number 130. My guest really does not need an introduction. And so what I'm going to do here is, is Mike Galliano, 33 years of experience with the Seattle Fire Department, United States Air Force, retired as a captain out of Ladder 5, remains a proud member of Fire Station 31. He's written articles. He's written books. He's on advisory boards. He's, he, he, he travels around the country and teaches everywhere. Like I said, what I'm going to do instead of doing the whole intro thing is I'm going to read this text that I got. And this text came from Brian Brush. It's really awesome because I didn't I didn't ask Brian. Brian just sent this when he saw that Mike was coming on. And Brian broke his or hurt his ankle on the ice we had a couple weeks ago. So he's 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 gimped up right now. But he said, Family is hauling me around, but wanted to say Mike goes out of his way to lift others up using what is available to him. Every year he and Dugan bring guys onto their fire engine radio show to use their reach to promote those names that don't have the recognition. I remember how great it felt years ago when he reached out to me and made the offer. Beyond that, he passed his seat on NFPA committees onto myself and a fireman of his from Seattle. He just absolutely lives by what seems like a code to figure out any way he can help others through the blessings and work he has put in. Just an amazing guy. I do not think there could have been a better intro from a better person for a better guy than my guest. So... Captain Mike Galliano, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to the scrap for episode number one thirty. Thank you, man. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Can we just can we cut it and end it just right, right there? there. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't want to. Ha- I'm not sure. I don't know if I can live up to that, man. Uh, thank you, Brian. Um, you're as you're as good a guy as I know, and I'm so proud of you and proud of what you're doing. And I, man, I. I'm going to float on that one for a long time. Right on, guys. Man. I'm going to float on that one. That was very nice. Thank you. And not to put you on the spot, but, dude, when you, when you get a text from a guy like Brian Brush about, about the guest, you got to read it. So anything I missed in the intro, anything you would like to add? No. I, no, I'm a – you know, the intros I like the best are that this is Mike from Seattle who loves fighting fires and loves being with the people that do. Let's get some. The rest <laughs> of it, you know, the rest of it, you'll you know what? You'll figure out here when we get get talking whether or not there's any legitimacy or not. So, Very you know, fair. what's written on the bio page is incidental, I think. Love it. Uh, of course, as always, Chief, I almost said Cap, Chief Kyle Romagus is in the audience grabbing your questions. So if you have questions for Mike, if you have questions about anything we're talking about, make sure and type them out. Kyle will grab them. He will throw them up there so we won't miss them. And get your questions primed and ready because it's going to be a great scrap. People are already logging in and saying, good evening, gents. From hey, Jim. Kyle. <laughs> and Andrew McGinn says, let's go. This is going to be a great great scrap from Jim Platt. So here we go. We're getting started. Um, number one, we'll start with the questions. Here we go. Anybody who knows me knows I am ate up with culture and what builds a healthy one in, a, in the fire service. So I wanted to start out by talking about This House Rocks. 
Where did it come from? Tell me all about it. Sure. Well, it's uh, it's a kind of a brainchild of myself and a little small, quiet guy from FDNY you might know named Mike Dugan. Um, Mike and I kind of connected over many, many years of crossing paths, teaching at various fire conferences, and we kind of gravitated to each other. We're you know about married about the same amount of time. We got kids roughly the same age. Mine are a little older, but um, both of us captains in really busy firehouses. And, um, just in talking about what makes a great firehouse, and he was teaching some leadership stuff. I was teaching some leadership stuff, and as he and I were talking, uh, there's probably not two further places apart than Seattle, Washington, New York City, right? right. You know, culture-wise and, you know, geography and everything, man, you know, different places. And what we found is we talked about the firehouses we were in and trying with everything we had to make those places just transformative breeding grounds for cool fire stuff and taking care of each other and loving the guy to your right and the left and impacting the citizens in a positive way and just really enjoying this calling, making the firehouse what it was supposed to be when we joined this thing, at least what I envisioned being in the firehouse. We talked about that stuff and we talked about it privately. The, as far apart as our two things were, problems were the same. The issues were the same. The stuff that he was dealing with in New York city was very much the same things that I was dealing with in, in Seattle, Washington. And pretty much as I talked to my other buddies who were teaching in the middle of the States and everywhere else in Australia, a lot of the same stuff same over and over again. Yeah. So we, we started comparing notes and it just kind of seemed like maybe it would resonate if we worked on something together and built, built a class together. And this house rocks literally came out of a uh, simple, it's our desire to give you some foundational points of reference to make your firehouse a place that everybody wants to work, a place that when people are there, they know they're there for the right reasons. And the the kind of overarching desire as a company officer is to help the men and women in that firehouse live their dreams in the fire service, whatever those dreams are, you know, different stuff. Everybody's got, everybody's got different things they want to do. Not everybody wants to be a chief or an officer. Not everybody wants to, go up the ranks, you know, and, you know, thank God for that. I mean, <laughs> thank God, thank God we got some awesome long-term tenured drivers who can deal with us officers, you know, who come and go, you know, we come and go. It's the senior man. It's the veteran driver. They're the bedrock of the firehouse. And thank God for that. But that's, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot more to it. I'll tell you, we were really interested, Corley, in not doing, we, we talked about, what we wanted to put in the class because there's a lot of ways to do it right and you see that there's a lot of leadership classes and a Mm -hmm. lot of things um you know there's there's like those slogan type of classes where you got all these like slogans that that people gravitate to and then there's the more kind of technical sciencey type of here's the science of leadership do a b c and d and then you get e right? right and right i enjoy them all i like it all i get i get something out of all of it but i will be candid with you those two approaches, I've gone to a lot of them. They, they don't resonate with me when it gets down to actually doing the work and making the work happen. Our goal, and it's more of, I heard one guy describe it, that's more of the art of leadership. That's what I'm into. Nice. I'm into the art. You know, we, we like the art of it. And here's some parameters and some paths to go down. 
but you ain't me, right? You know, you know, a lot of you out there listening, you aren't Italians who talk with your hands, you know, and blah, 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 you know, and you aren't Dugan, you know, and, and you know what? And neither am I, you know, Mike, Mike can come into a room at just his sheer size and that voice, that Tony Soprano voice, there's a level of um, the fires he's been to. There's a level of gravitas there that most of us, you know, we can't, I mean, I can't do that. You know what I mean? We, we I dream about, about having a lot of, it, right. We dream about yeah. having it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I can talk about a lot of fires, but you're never going to get away from the fact that I'm a short little redheaded Italian. You know what I mean? I'm not a six foot six truck captain, you know. Um, you got to bring what, what you've got to it. And so we purposefully structured it as there are, there are some key areas that you want to put time to. Nice. If you want to have a great firehouse and that can look a lot of different ways and you're going to have some ideas that we never thought of. We give you some ideas and things we've done, both good and bad. But the point is in building some foundational stuff and spending your time in key areas, you can really create some some long term, strong foundational stuff for a firehouse that rocks and rolls. It's awesome, man. Now, how long did it? I mean, obviously, the class is always evolving. You're always grabbing new stuff every time you teach it, I'm sure, because that's just the way it works. But how long have you been teaching the class? And do you feel like it has I, – I mean, to me, it seems like the class is even more relevant now as when you started teaching it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long. I, I know it's like over 10 years. I'm not real sure, but I know we've done it for at least 10 years. It might be 15 or more than that. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> um, you know, here, here's the thing. I think the firehouse is always, and trying to talk about making the firehouse awesome is always going to be relevant because for most of you listening, that's the place you can have the biggest impact on. I mean, you can rage against the machine all you want and be frustrated with your fire chief and your mayor, and you can be grinding away at your ops chief and et cetera, et cetera. But you do not have a tremendous amount of impact on that or say so on. I mean, they don't most of us, they don't let us vote on who our fire chief is. You know, at least they never gave me a vote. I can tell you that they never gave me a vote. Maybe right. they give other people votes. The, uh, I, think the you represent, on, I think you represent the majority of the fire service with. Your yeah. Family. OK, so there it is. So listen, we start the class off really early. We start off with there's so many things you could do. So many things coming at you. any of you who have ever tried to work on creating a great firehouse or certainly meeting one, you know the challenges that are in your face because it's not like the bumper sticker classes, you know, or the, the slogan type of things. You know, it's like, I love slogans, but now we're in the real world mm -hmm. and I don't get to pick my team. Typically, you know, you slowly but surely you may get to as you draw people to you. But in Seattle fire, it's a seniority system. So if people want to come to the truck. I don't even have a, I don't have a say in that. I get I get who I get. Now, don't get me wrong. I recruited like a banshee, man. I, mean, <laughs> yes. I, I went out I went out and tried to get the Brian Brushes, the, the, Cor the Corley Moores, and the Romaguses. You know, I tried, man. That's who I wanted. But that was outside of my control. Right. If you can't function and lead in an environment where you have to have control of everything, you might as well get out of the fire service and like go be an engineer or something and do something that's technical. You're going to have a ton of different personalities, a ton of different opinions, um, all kinds of variables in your firehouse. Thus, it's critical that you start to focus on things 
that you can really have an impact on. If you don't, you're going to go nuts and you're going to flame out. You're going to get pissed off. You're going to burn out. You're going to be spinning your wheels and throwing energy and emotion at things that you have zero control over. And then on the other side of that, you're going to go, man, I just spent my whole day and didn't do a damn thing. And you're going to be irritated. If you spend too much time in that trip, you're going to have a a bummed out career. You're going to have an ineffective and bummed out career. The converse is true. And we can speak to this both from other people's experiences and Mike and I can speak to it specifically from our own experiences. When we spent our time, effort, energy, and emotion focusing on the things that we actually had impact on, and you dabble in the other stuff, right? I dabbled up a lot. I was sure. always nudging the chief, nudging and trying it. But I dabbled there. I majored in what was going on around and focused there. Now a cool thing starts to happen. You spend time on the things we'll talk about, on, on your own personal responsibility. And the buck stops with you. Nice. You're not blaming everybody and you're not pointing at everybody when things go wrong or things aren't great or the culture isn't what you want it to be. You're taking some personal responsibility for your bite of that culture. Man, the ripple effects from that are positive. You know, you don't get everything you want out of that, but you start to see some positive. When you start developing and and volitionally, purposefully trying to establish a house pride, this is my firehouse, you know, and it ain't perfect, but by God, it's getting better every day. And we screw some things up, but man, we do a ton of great stuff too. And we're going to talk about that stuff and we're going to highlight that stuff. Some good stuff starts to come with that. The more you do those things and the other stuff we'll talk about, my two hours that I spend trying to elevate the pride in our firehouse by making something in the firehouse better than it was or reaching out like, well, like Brian Brush just did. Yes. Man, I'm still floating off that, baby. You know, Brian didn't have to do that. Um, Spending time elevating the conversation and impacting things that you can control towards the goals you want. Now, that's no longer bumper stickers and slogans, man. That's good, hard work, and it starts to form foundation blocks that you can count on, and you start to get pull people into your world to want to do that stuff as well. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just one or two. Now, it's five or six. Right, right. Now, the other guys in the firehouse that don't want that, they're starting to feel some pressure because before, they might have had half the firehouse on their side not wanting to be good, being lazy, not doing whatever. All of a sudden, there's five, six, seven of us, and it's getting lonely. Right, start tipping to be that the scale. jerk and to be the agitator. Yeah, Dude, getting lonely sitting in the chair when the rest of us are out on the app bay and we're doing some kind of funky thing that one of the guys saw at a fire conference, and we're looking at it and we're evaluating. Pretty soon, now there's not eight or ten; there's only one or two guys, and they're really getting lonely. That's uh, brother. In a nutshell, there's more to it. Sure, in sure. In a nutshell, that's kind of the the intro. Okay, so I got questions coming at you from the audience. Kyle's throwing them up here. I'm going to start with from Gus Salcedo. Forgive me if I get your name wrong. Hey, um, hey, Gus, how you doing, man? He says, "What would you say step one is in the process of improving your firehouse?" Step one. Uh, for, first off, Gus. In case everybody knows is uh, one of the guys that's put together the Gone to Texas Fire Conference. Um, If you don't know what that is, I would ask you to get on Facebook or whatever and uh, check out the Gone to Texas Conference. Um, So, Gus, thank you for the question. Um, 
I, I will go with what I just said. I mean, it kind of runs hand in hand with personal responsibility. Right on. You got to decide what you want to be. You got to decide the kind of career you want. I mean, it, I, my feeling is the best place to start is to go back to when your badge got pinned on. I think that's a good place to start for everybody because everything was a little pure then, right? Yes. You know, you think about it. I mean, think about it. Look at you, Carl. You're even thinking about it right now, yeah. right? You know, yes. It was a long time ago for you, Corley, but you're thinking about what that felt like to get that badge pinned on. And your fire department, big, small, volunteer, paid, mixed, metro, I could care less. Your fire department decided that they wanted you to be a member and out of all the people they could pick. They decided that you were going to be one of those members and they put that sacred badge on your chest. That's a great place to start. Remember what you wanted back then. Remember the vibe you wanted. Remember the feeling you had to wear our badge. I mean, you're wearing our badge, a badge that has been sacrificed for through the years and it means something. You know, it's got a, it's got a compelling meaning when the public sees you and our badge, they're just, they're blown away. They're like, wow. You know, I, I don't want to deflate anybody, but I'll be candid with you. Me too. When I, when, when I introduced myself as Captain Mike Galliano at Seattle Fire, they say, what do you do? I was a captain with Seattle Fire. 100% of the time, it's some version of, wow, that's, man, that's awesome. Thank you for your service. That's incredible. I admire so much what you do. I, I have to just say thank you and recognize it's got nothing to do with me. Right that on. doesn't because right. they don't know me. Right. Right. It's a it's a respect and a dignity that is is imputed to me because of the sacrifice of brothers and sisters, many of whom didn't get a paycheck, bought their own bunking gear, gotten their own cars and droves to fires, didn't have safety regulations. There was no unions. There was no safety regs. There was no quality excellent bunking gear training that we have and they they forged a meaning for this badge you wear that and on that day you're putting it on i want you to remember what you wanted to be true you know what and, and here's what i'm betting I'm, not, I'm betting there's not too many guys who put that badge on their chest and thought all oh, right i made it now i'm just gonna go be a lazy pissing and moaning dirtbag turd right Nobody said that. Right. right. No, no, nobody said, I, I want to be the guy who goes in the firehouse. I'm going to go find a firehouse and I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to get on the table and take a big dump and say, here I am. Deal with me. Right. Nobody. Go back to that first day and think about what you want. And I'll tell you what I wanted. I wanted to be involved with a group of men and women who rocked and rolled. I wanted, to, I wanted to go on rides that I could go on nowhere else. I wanted to make an impact on the citizens at their very worst day. I loved sports, man. I wanted that feeling I had when I was on sports teams. Yes. And it didn't just rely on me. You know, the, the best running back in the world is on the ground getting smashed without good offensive linemen opening up the, the, the holes for him, right? Absolutely. The best receiver in the world cannot catch the ball if they don't have a quarterback or blockers to make that happen. I wanted that team type of thing because I'm, I'm a self-aware guy for the most part. I know I have gaps in my game. Sure. I know, I know I got stuff I'm good at. I know I got stuff I'm not good at. I wanted to be with other like-minded people who had stuff that I didn't have. Gus, that's, that's the starting point that leads me to now recognize you got stuff we need. 
You, your department saw something in you and you got stuff that this craft absolutely needs and our firehouse absolutely needs. And if we don't get it and you hold it back, our delivery of service is less because of it. We need what you've got, man. And so if you come in with that, now we get to the point of focus on the things wherever you are in the organization that you can control, control. major in that stuff. If you're the young guy, you got six months on the job and you're working for a crap officer right now and you're sitting and listening and going, oh, that, that's great. This is Disneyland. Come work in my firehouse with the turd that I've got for an officer and the two guys in the chair. Hey, don't, don't feel special. Right there's on. people that are in that situation. There's just a, you describe it in a different way. There's people in that situation all over the country right now who are not in the optimal place that they would like to be. They're not working for the people they want to work for, and it's not optimal. So if you're in that spot, what does it mean? Are you screwed? You know, are you done? Can you, can you just quit? Right. right. I would suggest to you, there is not, you look at the things that you can do that you can start to do right now to make those dreams that you had in your head when you started to make those come true. There is not a firehouse in the country right now, not a one, where if you got a day on the job or 40 years on the job that you can't do some type of training while you're in that firehouse. Nice. If the company officer is in there studying to be a chief, sitting in their office or checking their stocks or selling real estate or whatever, I've had all of those experiences. That never stopped me from being able to get out in that app bay and do another pump evolution and practice on the pump and figure out, man, what happens if this breaks? What happened if this doesn't work? What ha And mentally in your mind going through it, what happens if the throttle comes off the rig? What happens if that pops off of there? Is there anything I can do? Get the veteran guys out there and say, what happens if this pops off? What happens if this happens? Getting the ladders and just, you know, getting them, throwing them again and again and again. So, you know, it feels just second nature to you. Reading, studying, spending time with the veterans. Every single bit of that is available to you no matter what the dynamic is around you. And I would also respectfully submit one other thing. Go ahead. When you start to do that stuff, I believe it's contagious. Beautiful. And you might eat some crap. You might, you know, you're going to get probably, oh, who's this guy? Right. You know, where this guy come from? You know, whatever. Oh, you went to a fire conference? Don't worry. It'll wear off in a couple of weeks. Don't worry. You'll get over I believe that you're going to get some of that, but what you're also going to get is you're going to get guys that are watching it happen. And I believe that stuff becomes contagious. And you're not looking to change everybody around you. You're looking to change one guy. Beautiful. If you can get one guy interested in that pump operation you did, and maybe he gets interested because you gave him the respect and dignity to say, hey, I don't know what to do here. Can you show me? And now that guy gets to invest in you, and all of a sudden he's got a stake in you. Now you got two guys. Right on. And if those two guys go out and get another guy, now you got three. Pretty soon, the company officer doing his stocks or his real estate in the in the office is going to start to feel pressure. Gus, that's a short. I guess maybe it wasn't so short. That's <laughs> that's a great place. That is a great place to start. We'll talk about other things that factor into it. But first things first, you got to know what you want. You got to have a vision of what you want it to be like. If you're just if you're just shooting out at uh, well, I hope it works out. Yeah, that might work, but it normally doesn't. You've got to have an idea of what you want it to be like, and it's got to be reasonable. It's got to be it's got to be reasonable. You got to do it. You know, you got to be able to do it. And then the second thing is start off focusing on the things that you individually control. Uh, one of the risks I'm actually talking with a guy just talked with him the other day. One of the risks is 
in being frustrated with what's going on around you, you can become a big part of the problem because you're so frustrated that things aren't the way you want it to be. And even if you have good ideas about what you want it to be, you can be so frustrated. You just become the pissing and moaning and whining Start guy. Adding to the hate. negativity. Yeah. 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 You, okay. You've worked with that guy, I'm sure. You know, and, and you add to it, even though what you want is good, the way you're going about it destroys it. No, that's, if you're not fired up after that answer, I don't know what else I can. I don't know what else the fire service can do for you because that was a beautiful, well articulated, and in depth answer for how to get started. And and it starts with remember that feeling of the badge. Um, closely tied to that, so I'm going to read this question to you. It comes from Gus uh, Jim Platt. How do you start to create a quality firehouse culture without getting burnt out before the changes get started? So, like I said, pretty closely tied to that one, but I wanted to throw it at you. Yeah. Uh, Jim, thank you for that. I, I appreciate you hanging out. Um, boy, it, it's, uh, it's happened to most of us at some point. You know, those of us who, you know, the heart, you know, obviously the blood runs hot in some of our veins, right? We, we, we see things, we want things, we really want good change and we want good stuff. Um, I would take you back to most of your burnout is going to occur outside of the things that you can control. That's where your burnout starts to happen because you're, you're, you're fighting against the machine in areas that you can't have an impact on. And it's frustrating because you think about who we are. We are difference making cats, man. Right. We, we dig that stuff. We want to, we want to be up at the plate. Yes. Ninth inning, two outs, bases loaded, full count, crowd screaming. We want the bat in our hands. That's, that's at least that's who most of us are. We want to make a difference. And when you're not, that frustration can build, and that's where burnout starts to happen. And then I would offer you one other thing that's equally as true. As a difference-making type of individual, which I assume most people who are going to listen to this or spend time listening to this, I would assume you are difference-makers. You're that type of person. You're the type of person listening to this, probably somebody who I'd recruit pretty hard to my fire company. No, that's solid, man. And that's, I don't think you get a better compliment from, from Mikey G than that compliment <laughs> right there. 100%. Well, and here, here, hey, Corley, here's the risk. Go. You, you have got to, you have got to recognize the, um, the dangers of the good part of your nature. And the good part of your nature is you're interested in a lot of things and you probably have some skills, right? Yes. You're going to really have to, discipline yourself and you probably need people around you to help you with this your spouse your your mates your, your people that you're accountable to uh, whatever whatever you've got that is your accountability you need to have some checks and balances in place about what you take on and what you don't it's it's got to be a manageable bite of a manageable amount of work or what ends up happening is you start doing a lot of stuff crap and i i got that badge lots of times gang i mean I got that badge lots of times. I mean, here, here's an example of what it looks like. Um, I, I remember the, the Seattle Fire Department. I got to the point where I was getting to do a lot of cool things. The Seattle Fire Department came and said, hey, we want to we want to re- do a, a strategic plan. Would you be the representative from the captain's ranks for the strategic plan for the entire Seattle Fire Department? Well, what's the answer to that? You say yes, right? Man, yeah. What I want to be in that room to kind of be a buffer for the crazy stuff, the political stuff that dominates. But is that a chunk of time, Corley? I mean, big chunk of time. Huge commitment, right? Yeah, plop that on my plate. That's on my plate. Right after that, I 
really great opportunity to um, work on the search and rescue aspect of our department and to help write that that program. Mike, would you like to participate and help develop the training for the search and rescue? What's the answer to that? More on your. Oh plan. my lord! Yes, yeah, man, it's so overdue and it's such a critical part. And we were coming out of this heavy safety, safety, safety message that you know we had been in and couldn't do anything. You bet. Literally two days later. So plopped that on my plate. Two right. days later, services called and said, hey, we're going to buy new ticks for the department. Our ticks are garbage, which was true. Would you be interested in r- helping to run the program to demo the ticks? We're going to demo like eight or nine models, and it'll jive with your search and rescue program. What's the answer? Plop it on. Dude. Now, you see what my plate is. Now, oh, yeah. Right? You got a lot to eat, brother. I do. And listen, I nothing else came off because I still got a very busy firehouse, a firehouse with, you know, an engine, a truck, and a medic unit that are doing over 9,000 calls a year. I got a full firehouse, a robust bunch of personalities to manage, and I have a life. Yeah. I got a wife. I got kids. I got Absolutely. all the other stuff. I got church. I go, do you see what my plate looks like? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, so here's the here. And, and all the, of those were important. It's not like these were just like willy nilly. You know what I'm saying? Like 100%. Like, yeah, it's all, and it was all good stuff. Here's the, here's the punchline to this story. That overdone plate that in my heart came from a good it sure. came from a good place. I wanted to do that stuff. That plate now, all it needs is one thing to go wrong, and I'm gonna start dropping commitments or I'm gonna run out of steam. I'm gonna I'm gonna flame out. You know, if all it takes is for one of my kids to get sick, hurt, or injured, and I need to spend time away from the department, and those th- those commitments start dropping off. If I get hurt. If one of my guys get hurt, if, you know, if I'm having to spend time down at hospital or, or alcohol rehab place to kind of to help out one of my guys, all of a sudden that stuff starts popping off and I can't make my commitments. It's a you, you want to start with a reasonable amount of stuff that you feel like you can do to the standard that you want that is in your wheelhouse. It's in your circle of influences. You can do something about it. There's more complexity to the answer than that, but that is the great place to start. That's. That's the important place to start. And then the last thing, celebrate your victories. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, make, sure, make sure as you're trying to impact and you're doing these little ripples. When you pull somebody from the dead zone into they want to be a firefighter again and be part of the crew, you celebrate that and recognize job well done. You pull somebody from the dark side. Don't just go, okay, I got one, but I didn't get the other five. Right. Celebrate. Oh, man, you got one, and that's huge. Focus on the positive? Well, not, not, in, a, not in a Pollyanna type. Okay. In a legitimate way, right? You on. know, I love many, that. I love that answer, by the way. Well, how many how many great runs have has the firefighters in this in this uh, podcast been on? How many times during the day have you just gone to runs and you just done a great job? And I bet you, if we sat down and talked, the first one you'd bring up would be the one that went crap. Right. I I actually like that about us because that one sticks in our mind because we don't want to repeat that. We're going to work to improve it. I'm just telling you. As a, as a way to avoid burnout, keep talking also about all the great stuff that's going on. Because in, a, in our classes, we, uh, we'll, we'll say, um, I hope this makes sense out of context of actually being in the class. We'll say, um, hey, you know, raise your hand, somebody. Tell me something good that's going on in your fire department or going on in your firehouse. Tell us something good or, or, or somebody who, who did something excellent or a fire you went on. Corley, I'm telling you, and guys don't raise their hands, you know, the most, they don't want to get in trouble. Right. 
getting getting responses to that, it will end up being maybe a tenth of the room will raise their hand, and that's on a good day. Now, if I follow up with a little bit later, if I follow up with, you know how it is, guys, things go wrong. In fact, let raise your hands. Tell me something about your department you wish you could change. Tell me something that's crappy or a run that went bad or somebody who demeaned the name of the department. Guess how many hands go up? Yeah. Like yeah, two thirds of the <laughs> two thirds of the room goes up. You know, some guys won't raise their hands ever, but you know, two thirds of the room. Why is the bad stuff so easy to focus on, and why does it come naturally? I don't necessarily have a good psychological answer for that, but I do know it's the case. Thus, if you want to be a good leader in a great firehouse, you have to be volitional, purposeful about elevating the level of the conversation, about elevating the stuff, keeping the good stuff on the radar, and not in a not in a Pollyanna way. You know, don't, we're not talking about, oh, great, somebody put the toilet paper roll on right this time. Excellent. You know, I'm talking about the legitimate stuff that happens day in, day out. Keep that part of the conversation and elevate the conversation. It has a really significant effect. Powerful. I've got lots of questions coming at you. So are you ready for some more? Oh, man, we'll stay here all night. Um, as long as you let me take a bathroom break once in a while. Whenever, I'm older now. Whenever you need it. <laughs> Chris Kent, Chris Kent asked, as a lieutenant, how do you jumpstart a captain to be more aggressive? So he's talking about you're not the guy yeah. in charge, you're under him. How do you yeah. push up? How do you how do you lead up? So go ahead. Mike. Yeah. Ah, great. Chris, thank you. Great question. Um I don't want to keep going back to the same thing, but Chris, don't burn out trying to punch up all the time. I have those scars. I mean, I most of my scars in my career, most of my burnouts were the, the guys were usually great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was it was punching up against the leadership, and you know, and then some of that was your responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's my responsibility as captain. Um, make sure first things first that you are focusing on your role in the firehouse and that you're doing an excellent job in your firehouse. Make sure that you've got that squared away before you start looking around. And I'm going to assume that's the case. We've talked about that enough. Stay focus on on what you can you can control. The very next thing that I have always appreciated as a company officer, um, I have always appreciated the idea in a firehouse of having a leadership team. And so I was the I was the station captain. The buck stopped with me. I was responsible for both the engine and the truck. I had an engine captain, but I was senior. I was the station captain. When it, when it something went haywire in the firehouse, it, you know, the chiefs came to me. They didn't go to the other guy. Um, I tried really hard with the other captains and lieutenants to spend time with them and meet with them and create a leadership team. Nice. Not just not just the central figure at the top that makes all the rules and this is what you shall do. I, you know, there's a little bit of that decision making that you have to do. But I wanted us to approach it as a team, and I would request that of your captain. And I would I would I would ask them to start to try to create that vibe where you are talking together as a team. Now you got some allies. Now you got some other folks and, and you're moving as a team. It's great for the guys because they don't have one, one set of rules on A shift and one set of rules on B shift. You've got a team that's working together. Now you just have the flavors, right? Every shift's going to have its flavors. Um, I'm a big believer, Chris. I'm a big believer in behind closed doors, eyeball to eyeball. All this stuff is gone. Captain, lieutenant, bars, all this other stuff. It does have meaning, but when it comes to leadership, I think it has a very diminished meaning. If you're if you're going here <laughs> to make them follow, um, 
boy, oh boy, you're in for a, a long ride and I don't think it's going to be the type of environment that you would want. Behind closed doors, showing respect, sitting down with your, your officer and from your heart telling them, here is what I want us to be. Here's, here is the way I want things to be and it will never be that way if I don't get your help. Those types of conversations that, that I have had with, with fellow company officers, those types of conversations that other officers have had with me about things that they wanted to see change totally goes a long way towards giving you a shot at being successful versus doing it out in front of the guys or doing it behind their back. And a lot of, a lot of disgruntled lieutenants and senior firefighters are doing that. You want to see change. The officer isn't what you think you want. And so you start to do this build, you know, from the ground up mutiny amongst the firefighters. I'm telling you, if you do that to me, you got a you got a formidable foe on the other side of that equation because I got some teeth too. Versus behind closed doors where we can just have a conversation as, as human beings, you got a much better chance of articulating your message to where I will hear it. And I may tell you some things that are true about our firehouse or about our department or what we can and can't do that might temper what it is that you feel like is the right thing to do. Maybe we can move forward and do it together. But I think given that respect is really important. And then let me go to the reality for some people out there. Some of you just work with somebody who's dead. They're dead. And there is no bringing them back. They're, they're caustic. They're toxic. Um, I'm sorry that's the case. I've been in a couple of those deals where the, you know, the person was just never, they, they should have been fired. You know, they should have been eliminated from the organization. Once again, if that's the case, if you have somebody who, 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 having done everything, having talked to them privately, included them in the stuff, casting a vision for the way things that can be, modeling it, none of that works, and you've got this toxic person, it falls into that category of, is that in your control or outside of your control? Right on. For the most part, it's outside of your control. Don't spend a ton of time there, and what's left to you is to make what's around you, your crew, your shift, your team, whatever it is that you have control over for the time that you're in that spot, you make it as good as it can be. Now, last thing, um, I am not opposed whatsoever once you've done everything to trying to get some help above the person that you're talking about. But I give them the benefit of the doubt first. I do not go running to the person above, the chief above or whoever to try to get them to straighten it out before I've done what I can do. But once you have, and once the person is demonstrating that they're not going to make a change, once again, a behind closed doors, private conversation with the other captain, the battalion chief, not to the guys. If you're doing it to the guys, then listen, here's the temptation. Because you want to be the big swinging bad dude, you're going to say to your crew, oh, man, I got a, I got a meeting scheduled with the battalion chief. and We're going to get Captain Galliano straightened out, that clod kicker. I'm going to straighten his ass out. Uh, number one, that is going to get back to Captain Galliano. Trust me. Because I got, you know, all, I got lots of guys who love me on the job. And you might think that you're talking to one of the guys that doesn't love me. But the minute you say that, they're going to come tell me I said it. And now you got somebody who's an enemy. Versus, you're going to do that. You keep it to yourself. You make an arrangement with the person above. And privately, you go to them. And again, transparently, articulate what you want to be our true. Articulate what you've done. Articulate what you want to see happen. And see if you can get an ally to maybe put some pressure on some change. Beautiful, man. Hey, here's the last thing. Go. If you're, if you're in charge, if somebody won't change, if somebody will not 
will not get on board, having been given, given every opportunity to get on board. If you have any authority whatsoever, you are duty bound to try to extricate that person from the department. And I don't mean I don't mean transfer him somewhere else, transfer the problems. We tried not to transfer problems. Somebody finally decided that they were not going to be a part of what we were trying to do. And at least at least give me the, the reasonable effort, at least earn your paycheck. Right. Right on. I like to surround myself with guys who are doing more than earning their paycheck. But you got to at least earn your paycheck. You got to be part of it. If not, even though it's virtually impossible for me in Seattle Fire to get somebody fired, I still would go through the effort just out of respect for the team. Beautiful. And I think uh, to that question, I think you answered. Chris Schroeder had a question. Recommendations for dealing with officers that can't see the importance of station culture and pride. And you just beautifully answered that same question right there. You know what I'm saying? Because it's the same same series and sequence of events. And so, well, Chris, make sure make sure and model it. Make sure make sure that you're modeling it because there is nothing more contagious than a group of men and women who are moving together as a mm. team in the fire service. It is it's spectacular. In fact, I don't think I said it, but at the front end, you asked me what was one of the things that made Mike and I want to put the class together. It was because we've worked in firehouses that were like we're describing. It's it's otherworldly. Magical. It's yeah. it's crack, man. You want it. You want it. You you want you want that feeling of knowing you're with fellow brothers and sisters when you walk through the door. It's not brother and sisterhood. It's not a bumper sticker, man. It like you feel it. it exists. And it's real. There's it's nothing ta- better. Yes, it is. You yeah. felt it, right? Oh, hundred percent, man. Dude, it's magical. There is nothing better than when the bell hits and it's some crazy messed up run. That you know, there's no, there's no sog for it. You know, right. there's no, there's no A B C D. You know, do this, do this, do this, do this. And, you know, it, it'll all work out. There is nothing better than when you go to these runs that really matter, and you're with a group of men and women that you trained with, and it's like water just flowing, and everybody moves into the spot that they need to be in, and nobody has to be told do this, do this, do this. It just flows like water. That is crack, man. It is. I'm retired now, guys. I'll miss that for the rest of my life. Ever, yeah. Yeah, I'll miss that forever. Beautiful, man. Uh, and he's 100%. Like, I wish I – wish I, if you don't absorb the passion that Mike speaks with, I don't know what you – ha- you need to have your pulse checked, your heart rate checked. Um, <laughs> all right, I got a few more. William Seeley wants to know, how do you mix making the house rock and have a positive vibe and making sure that operations is also a priority? And so – Go ahead. Uh, William, you already know this, man, because I came and talked for you guys in Arizona. So I already talked about this. Just just look at your notes from when I came and spoke to you guys about this house rocks and just do that, brother. <laughs> no, uh, thank you, man. Um, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we have five areas that we talk about in the This House Rocks class that deserve your attention. And right off the bat, when I tell you the five, you're going to go, yeah, but what about, but what about, what about? Um, what I'm telling you is these five are smack dab in the middle of your bullseye for things you can have some impact on no matter where you are in the organization. It's gold. Now, I I can tell you some specific things to do in each of these areas, but you can come up with some that I don't even think of. And you can come up with some that fit your particular fire department layout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Five areas, William, to put time, effort, energy to. One is you're individually responsible for yourself. You you take responsibility. If you can't get past that one, 
If it's all about pointing at everybody else and saying, this guy's wrong and this is screwed up and I can't do anything about that, this is really tough, man. And if you're not willing to own up to your own stuff, it's really tough. You know, but when you make a mistake, you ought to be the first guy to say, boy, that was a cluster, man. I screwed that up. That will not happen again, but that was a cluster. Here's the cool thing when you do that. That gives the rest of us a chance to get on your side. That gives me a chance to go, hey, man, don't worry about it. Here's the here's what I screwed up, you know. But when it's, well, you know, that wasn't really that bad, or you know, that was the that was engine twenty two's fault because if they now all of a sudden everybody's ducking and covering individual responsibility, pride in your firehouse and pride in your team, wearing it with authority and with pride. You've got to develop trust, and we'll talk more about trust. But there has got to be an ironclad trust and knowing that the men and women in your fire company have got your back, that you can count on both both relationally in the firehouse where you're going to spend most of your time, but also professionally on a technical level that they're competent. And you know that when you're up on a ladder with them or up on a roof, they know what they're doing. And when they're swinging a chainsaw around, they know what they're doing with the saw, that there's sets and reps to back that up. Um, Teamwork, being able to function as a team and, and operate as a team and recognize strengths and weaknesses and the ebb and flow of a team. And then the final thing, William, as you full well know, is training. Training's got to be a priority in a well, a well running machine. It's got to be, it's got to be one of the things that we feature. It's not the only thing. And it's one of the things that can kind of even almost be overdone because most everybody can feature training. Some of the other stuff, developing teamwork and trust is a little bit harder. Right. So that gets pushed inside. If all you're doing is training all day, there's a lot of things that are being missed along the way. If you'll put time, effort, and energy into those things and, and, and on the training side, if you'll train to a standard of the basic skills being absolutely bomb-proof, if, if you'll work towards that, you know, we, we describe it as a flawless execution of the basics. Beautiful. When you, when you put your SCBA on, man, it looks like, you know, it looks like a beautiful dance. It doesn't look like... <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't look like a jigsaw puzzle with the pieces missing, you know, and straps and whatever. That comes from doing that thing a thousand times, you know, just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And yes, screwing it up along the way, you right know, on. messing things up. That's how you learn, right? A flawless execution of the basics and involving every member of the firehouse in the training day, or at least in the training program. It may not be for a particular day, but every guy on the crew is good at something. Even the even the clod kicker who pisses and moans all the time or whatever, everybody has a bite of the training program. And you, I think as a company officer or leader, you're duty bound to say, look, hey, man, what fires you up about what we do? What do you like the most? Uh, I love working with the tick. You got the tick drill two weeks from now. If you need help with it, I'll help you with it. I'll help you develop what you're going to do. I don't want you to be intimidated by developing it, but you got the drill. Beautiful. Two weeks from now, gang, you're going to get a really good tick drill. And you're going to get it from that guy's perspective. They, they've seen the tick drill from my perspective because I'm drilling them all the time with it, right? But now you get to see it through that guy's eyes, and that's critical. That's crucial. And to give a drill, man, you got to you got to prepare. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Right? So you oh, teach. Yeah. You know. You know you've done oh, absolutely. Drill. If you're going to give a drill. If you're going to give a drill on the saw, you're going to have the saw in your hands a lot because you're going to be in front of five, six, seven, eight other people who are very – critical <laughs> right no. they're, they're going to be watching what you're doing and it's a great way to hone those skills and, and the last thing it does 
is it gives you a bite of it. No, you know, you can give that guy yeah. a bite. Oh yeah, in what you're doing, and the you know what the uh, the payoff comes in the most important place when you're training and when you're doing that. When you have that pride in your firehouse, the payoff comes in a dark street somewhere at zero dark thirty when everything is going to crap. And a group of well-trained firefighters come in and they make an impact. Um, I'll tell you that here's the thing I miss as much as I miss anything from being retired. Very, uh, very strange that this was one of the things that mattered the most to me that I missed. I miss the ride back from a good job. Nice. If, in fact, you know, pay attention to that a little bit. Next time you go on a really good job and go on one that went really well, Pay attention to the absolutely pheromone, unbelievable, awesome euphoria that is going around the cab and how you feel about the men and women that are in that cab. It, it's it's that's that's the payoff, man, because you, you delivered the service you wanted to do. And now you're with this group of people that at that moment you would kill for them. You would kill for them, warts and all. You would kill for them. Warts and all. You've accomplished something together that most people will never get the sense of doing. Dude, that's strong, man. That's so strong. Uh, I miss that, dude. I miss that. That you don't. You don't just replicate that out here in the in the regular world. I I get to do a lot of fun things. I get to hang with a lot of cool people and do a lot of cool stuff. But boy, enjoy that while you're actually on the job and doing it. All right, I got other questions. Valerie wants to, has a question about uh, lessons you learned later in your career, but it's kind of one of the final five questions I have for you later on, so I'm going to save okay. that one. Um, Eddie Ivy wants to know, what do you do when you get in trouble for training on your own or for training on skills that the department does not do or use? Yeah, okay. Um, as far as getting in trouble for training on my own, I want to be careful how I answer this. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> fair, it's fair. Uh, we have a we have a uh, we have a term in Seattle Fire going. I'll gladly sign those charges. So when we get in trouble for bad things, we get what's known as charges. Uh, you call them whatever you call them, and they they do whatever they do. They they we get written up, or they take pay away from us, or we get you know days off or whatever, all the way up to getting fired. Uh, I would relish signing charges that said this individual was training and I told them not to nice. I'd sign them. Right. You know what I mean? I'd sign no, those. Beautiful. I'd, you know, if I got a, if I got a stack of those in my personnel file and I'd love to stand before the chief and answer the question about why my officer is telling me that I should not be training. That might be one of the remedies for a crappy officer. <laughs> Cause I think most, I think most chiefs would, you know, would say, what, wait, wait, wait a minute. What am I reading this right? What? Here's the second part to your question that I think is a little more difficult to answer. Um, I recognize that every fire department has a set of tactical things that they do. They have a set of rules and a set of tactics and the things that they do to fight fires. Um, I think it is okay, and I'm desirous of going out and learning new tips and new techniques and new things that work and those types of things. I, that's fantastic. And, man, I hope you do that the rest of your career. I, there was never a, a year in very few months in my 33 years where I wasn't out somewhere at some point learning, reading, looking, seeing what other people were doing, getting stronger and stuff, bringing back ideas. And I, and I don't say that as a pat on the back. 
it was enjoyable to me and it was fulfilling and it was encouraging. And it, you know, sometimes it's just awesome to go hear, like go hear Corley talk about leadership and just get the wind blown into your sails a little bit, you know, and perk back up that I'm, I'm amongst my people. You know what I mean? I'm amongst the yes. people who see the world the way I see it. However, you also as a professional have to realize that your department has orchestrated a script for how runs are supposed to go. And they're expecting that script. And you may not like the script that your department's orchestrated, but it's the one you have. Mm -hmm. You want to be very careful about going so much off script that now instead of becoming a a professional who, who is working towards the good of the run, you've now become an outlier or a wild card or or a kind of a free agent. And you're doing things that nobody knows what you're doing. They're not expecting it. And now you're putting the rest of the crew at risk and yourself because they don't know what you're doing. If you want to change your culture, if you want to change a tactic, there's an appropriate way to go about doing that. It's hard work. And, and it can be frustrating work because a lot of times the boss is above. They don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. They know what they're comfortable with. You know, we've been, we've been throwing this ladder this way for the last hundred years, kid. Who are you to come along and change? It? Right. Or some version of that. Yes. And I know every one of you has dealt with that. There is an appropriate way to go about it. And believe me, I spent a good chunk of my career working to en- enhance the way Seattle Fire did things and the tactical stuff we did. And I had a lot of success. And boy, there's some crashing burns and flameouts along the way, too. But it didn't stop us from trying. When it was successful, we did it in a proactive way. Number one, we knew what we were talking about. We practiced it. If you want to do a new ladder throw or a different way to do things, you better know how to do it. You better know how to demonstrate it, not just have seen it at a conference and thought, oh, man, that looks cool. That looks good. You know, we're going we're gonna to get involved in vent inner search. You do not, you do, not do a, a positive, proactive vent inner search by watching it on a video or doing it a few times at a training conference. You got to come back and you got to practice and practice and practice and practice and in and different rips. types of scenarios, different types of windows, window level wise, size of windows. Do it on a grade. Do it with landscaping that, you know, is just a nightmare. Do it with uh, the one that just happened in Seattle Fire, unbeknownst to them, a hoarder home. Up on the half one, second floor, a, a hoarder home where they didn't get to come into like a drill tower type of thing, and, you know, sound the floor and jump in and it's concrete and bada bean, close the door. Man, they got into a rat's nest. Oof. It was a it was a mess. I mean, they had to move stuff out of the way before they could even move a couple feet. If, if you're good at what it is that, that what you're trying to change, now you can authentically go in front of the leadership folks, the people at training, your battalion chief, whatever your process is. You can go in front of them and you can articulate it in a professional way, not in an emotional way. Nice. Not in a, you know, the the great departments are doing this. We're just a piece of crap. We don't do it. We're a piece of crap. Good luck with that, man. Bring that, bring that nonsense to me as the training captain. You're going to lose me pretty quick because our department is not a piece of crap. Now we may do, we may need to add some things and get better. But if you lead with that, you've already lost me most of the way by the way you brought it. Come in with a good plan. Come in articulating why it is that it can be good and be able to be willing to demonstrate it. That gives you a good chance of actually making headway. And then have some patience. Um, the uh, I have the pictures of it. I have the video of it. Seattle Fire just did it. I do not have the permission to share them, 
but it is an epic, epic vent inner search rescue. Oh, nice. I mean, yeah. Hey, the when I watch it, the blood rushes from every other part of my body to somewhere else on my body, and I am emotional, man. It is awesome. Nice. It's a it's a capstone, gang. It's a if you want a, a story of a victory in a department that moves slow, it's a big department, it's it, it is progressive, but it moves very slow and changed. I am telling you, man, 15 years ago, we were doing townhome fires because we started to get all these high-density townhomes being built. I can still remember sitting in a room with three really good chiefs. I mean, these, these weren't duds. These were pretty good operational chiefs, in some cases, as good as we have. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddy, Matt Rogers, banging on the table to try to get vent inner search into our department because it was not a, it's not a tactic that Seattle Fire did much of. You know, we, we, we didn't do it. We don't have row houses and things like that, uniform construction. So we weren't doing a lot of vent inner search. And looking across the table at these guys who I respected and them saying, just go in and put out the fire. Why are you going to put people above the fire and get them burnt? And that makes no sense at all. Put out the fire. I'm like, chief, look at the way these townhomes are constructed. We're going to lose stairs. Trying to articulate, right? right, right Trying to right. make the case. Showing, showing history. Showing. We were unsuccessful. Uh, we were we were we, we were not successful to the point where I said, "Okay, I'm going to go teach townhome fires when I have no stairs in there. How do you want me to tell them to get the people out of there?" And the answer was, "Captain, you need to put out the fire." That was the answer. Very frustrating, but we stayed at it. Right. Every year we stayed at it. We came at it from a different way. Even after I segued out, there were other people who picked up that baton and they kept at it. And he said, "Well, what if we don't call it vent inner search? Because vent inner search is." Uh, you know, in, in the in the lore of the fire service, it's a way overused tactic in some places, you know, way overused, dangerously overused tactic. In fact, on the cover of the fire magazines, the only way, you know, 20 years ago you could get on the cover is if you were diving out a window with fire at your back. It was right. like a sexy thing to do. Using the misuse of the tactic to keep us from doing the positives of the tactic was a real selling point for, for our leadership. But our guys stayed at it, and we stayed at it, and we tried it in different ways. Um, I don't know when the exact change happened, but about three or four years ago, enough case was made that it started rolling into our training program. All that tenacity of staying after what we knew in the streets was a legitimate, valid tactic that would save lives. It's legitimate. It works. We knew it. We stayed after it. We didn't get frustrated. We didn't quit. We didn't just tap out. Uh, that that victory was realized three, four, five, whatever it was, a week ago, two weeks ago, when it's now a standard tactic. The guys trained in it. They did it in an incredibly difficult environment. They pulled the lady out. You can see the lady coming down. She's unconscious. That lady left the hospital the next morning. Beautiful. That, that bill is stamped paid baby and every ounce of blood sweat and tears and frustration and i'm you know i'm removed from this 15 years trust me if you'd have seen me coming out of that meeting you would have seen the other side of my personality i was blowing fire and pissed off and ready to shoot people and quit and you know i I, it it was frustrating but we didn't leave it there you you get those emotions you spit them out you you rail against the machine and now i'm right back at it okay well event inner search is the problem we'll call it targeted search you like targeted search better? That's not been in research. <laughs> right. Literally, that got us to the next step. Right. We started calling it targeted search because Venner search had this stain to it 
that allowed the next people that came along to get it going. And uh, I hope that, man, I hope that made sense. Dude, it did, man. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> made sense in my head. And I don't reward. know if it made sense. It's just else. so much effort. And, you find, and, and you're answering the question, you know, which is, how do you how do you how do you implement the change? And sometimes it's patience. I mean, patience straight up and tenacity. And yeah, then, not every change not every change that you see out there in the big bad world is legitimate. It's legitimate for that department or for. Um, I know I had a real difficult. Some of my some of the people that I love the most in the fire service um, came from much larger larger and more staffed organizations than what I did. And so I would go see them. I would go see their tactics classes, their standpipe classes, all the different stuff. And it would be frustrating because I know it worked for them right. in FDNY or wherever. I know it did. Uh, but I was on a I was on a fire truck that had three people on the rig versus, you know, an engine in FDNY that was bringing five, six times seven guys off the rig. There is just a reality to that type of thing or a staffing level that Seattle Fire had a pretty good staffing level. But, man, depending upon where you were in the city. It could be a while before you got help. Right. Uh, you certainly didn't have 20, 30, 40 bodies in every place I was at right off the bat. And your tactics have to, they have to meet what you have on the ground. So remember, what you're hearing out in the big bad world may work for that organization. It may not work for your organization. And have the humility and the teachability to be able to recognize what's true and what's not. Absolutely. That's beautiful, man. Tactics are local. So. Uh, where am I at? I'm pulling this up. So I want to talk to you about, um, firefighter air replenishment systems, man. I wanted to throw this at you and let you talk about it. Oh. I know you're passionate about it. <laughs> well, um, I've been involved with air and air management for a long time. You know, I've literally wrote the book on it. Literally. Well, we, you know, we did, um, we, we wrote, yeah, we wrote a textbook on it. I do want to be clear about it though. Um, a lot of time, effort, and energy went into that. So I'm, I'm grateful to have been able to do it, and I'm very proud of it. But I do want you to know, like every other topic that's out there, um, we did not invent air management. <laughs> we don't own that title or own that topic. Um, there were people that were talking about air management long before we were, um, both in our industry and in the dive industry. And, um, and certainly subsequent to doing that book right now, there are folks out there that are doing incredible extensions of the work that we did on air management. So um, I, I use that as just a, a lead into, um, man, don't feel like you own a topic. <laughs> if Beautiful. I, no, that's a great you statement. You don't, you don't own search. Right. You don't own, you don't own put water on the fire. You don't own ticks or um, forcible entry or engine operations. Now you may have, a quality contribution to that conversation. And I, I feel like we impacted the country, the conversation. I, here's an example. Um, some folks were doing some marriage stuff at a conference, a couple that I know were doing some marriage stuff. And uh, some guys called me and said, uh, cause Ann and I do firefighter yeah, marriage. Stuff. Absolutely. Uh, and some guys called me and said, Hey, we were at this conference and these guys are stealing your stuff. And you know, our initial response is thank God, you know, <laughs> I mean, th thank God there are other fire couples out there and not just the two dopes from the, the West Coast that are talking about and sharing their story in a way that other folks might relate to their story way more than they're going to relate to ours. That's extending the craft. Right on. And I hope that, you know, I hope that, that more and more people will be involved. Um, one of my friends, you know, I was trying to get him to write a, an article on a, on a cool thing that they did. And um, 
he said, well, you know, gosh, there's so many people already writing, but it was on standpipe ops and, and on standpipe failures. And he said, so many people have already written about that. And man, there's the Bill Gustins out there and you know, just these legends that are already talking about it and doing standpipes off and high rise ops. And he said, yeah, that's true. And when Bill Gustin writes something, I will throw elbows to get in front of you to read it. <laughs> Because, I mean, it's going to be good and it's going to be substantive and it's going to have teeth behind it and experience. He's one of my favorite authors in, in writing. However, I'm seeing it through Bill Gustin's eyes. I've never seen it through yours. I've never seen what you see and the take that you have on it from your department in that situation. And I'm telling you, it's critical for the craft that I do. It's critical that I see leadership from from your eyes, Corley. I want, to see, I want to see leadership from your eyes, and then I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go listen to one of my mentors, John Norman, and I'm going to see it through his eyes, and I get some stuff every time I do it. That that is absolutely critical and essential to making that happen. And you'll have to remind me because I get fired up. What started this question? Uh, air management systems. Air management. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. Here we go. Um, yeah, can, so I'm in air. We're all about rabbit holes here on the scraps. You can go. Yeah, I, I, I believe in air. I believe air is what gives you the permission to be into the environments that where our work gets done. That's your permission slip. And when you run out of air, your chances of surviving the incident go down dramatically. They really do. There's a lot of things that kill us. If you add out of air to that equation, your chances of surviving historically go down dramatically. So dramatically. I think air's a air's a big deal. It's it's an important thing. It's not a sexy topic. It's not as sexy as water and fire, you know. So that's why I think it's kind of been diminished through the years. Um, just in a nutshell, firefighter air punishment systems. This got on my radar. Um, I wish I wish it had gotten on our radar when we were writing the book, but I'll be candid with you, we were telling some really hard ground to try to even get people to listen to the air management message. You know, sure, sure. really, really hard ground to try to get through. Now it's the ground's tilled and everybody gets it. You need air, you need to manage it, you know, you need to have a reserve. So it's a little bit different. The air replenishment system is for bigger structures. It's for high rises, it's for big boxes, it's for tunnels where you've got a lot of distance to travel and you're going to burn a lot of air getting there. Or even if you can be off air a, a ways, it's going to take you a long time to get back and, and it can be a problem. Um, this was true with water. Water was carried up manually for a long time in buckets and whatever, or manually laying hoses until we started to realize if we can put a fixed piping system into these buildings and get a standpipe with pumps to support them or from a fire truck, we can pump that water from the ground and it eliminates a time waster, a lot of arduous work to get water to a level up above on 8, 10, 12, 15, 20, or down, you know, this long ass tunnel or you know, across a, a big box structure. If we always have to physically lay it, there's just there's a, there's work involved in that sure. and time. And Labor, et yeah. Far firefighter air punishment system. Fars. Fars is that in a nutshell? It's a standpipe for air. It's air supplied in the street, either through a mobile air unit or through a cascade system. It goes through fixed piping, and it is delivered to two different delivery methods at the upper floors where you need air. One is a rupture containment type of vessel that you're used to seeing in your training divisions where you put the bottles in, you spin it around, you fill the bottles, you take the bottles out and put the bottles on the pack. The second one, and it's the one that I would love for you to get fired up about, and I would love for you to reach out for me and we'll figure out a way to get the message in front of your chief. I want you to imagine going to the biggest fire of your life, 
So you're you're now up on 10, 12, 15, 20, and it's not a room and contents fire. It's not food on the stove. Right. You got you got serious stuff with lots of people that are being overcome by smoke. You've already had to go up a lot of stairs to get there. You know how quickly you burn through your air once your heart rate's up. Everybody does to different levels. But now you're having to haul all the equipment up, and you're trying to do your work. You're trying to do your work, and bang, you low on air. The only thing you can do the way we do air resupply now, the only thing is to try to get back down to wherever the staging area is, wherever bottles were put, if they're there. Right. In the, in the early stages of the fire, that's hit or miss. The only thing you can do is leave your line, leave the search, leave what you're doing, and go all the way back down, take your bottle off, put a bottle on, then go all the way back up. If you have a FAR system in your tower and you have an emergency fill panel right by where the standpipe connection is, you come out from attacking the fire, you step out in the stairwell, you do not have to take your face piece off, you do not have to take your bottle out, you stay under respiration, you open the cabinet, Click in with the transfill hose. Transfill it up. Okay. 30 seconds to two minutes later, depending upon how the system is designed, you've got your second bottle and you're right in the tank. You're right back to the attack. Right there where you're at. Dang, it's a, you know, I don't even know. I feel like I shouldn't even have to say anything else. And that every fire chief in the nation, when I said what I just said, I feel like every fire chief in the nation should go, I want that for my guys. Right. I want that. That will that will transform operations at large building fires. It is the same transformational impact of getting water Stand delivered pipes. and getting air delivered. Yeah, and, and those are the two things we need. We need the guys. We need oh, bodies. And to put out fires, we need air and water. If you don't have either of those things, you're either going to not be able to put out the fire or you're going to get chased from the fire. And here's here's the reality of large structure, large fires, large buildings. We, we, we've just seen it in recent high-rise fires that we've just had in the last month or two. The firefighters are put in the position because the work is so compelling, they're going to go off air, run out of air, and then they're just going to endure the smoke to finish their job. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't write it in the after-action report because we don't want to get in trouble. Sure. But that exposure to smoke over time in this fire after fire after fire we recognize the, the the effects that that has on us, and we have firefighters' names who are on the walls because they ran out of ran out of air, and they were put in that position yes. because there wasn't any resupply. There is a solution I would love to be able to tell you about. I um, mean, it, it hasn't been broadcast yet. Fort Worth Fire Department, the mighty Fort Worth Fire Department, just adopted a fires code. Nice. Firefighters in Fort Worth are going to going to have air at large structures. And it's really a, it's a significant moment for me. I mean, we have other places. Um, Chief Bloom in uh, Meridian Fire, Meridian Meridian Fire, first in Idaho to have uh, um, firefighter air replenishment. Um, Grand Prairie, Chief Fight, Chief Thompson, Scott Thompson, our buddy Scott Thompson, the colony has it. Uh, McKinney, Frisco, Sam Greif in Plano in Texas has it. Alan Brunacini was a big proponent in, when he was the chief um, in Phoenix. So they're, they're all over the place. Fort Worth is significant because if you look at the cover of our air management book, the firefighter that you see tumbling out of the window who's burnt up, smoked up, and out of air, that is Bart Bradbury from Fort Worth Fire. And all these years later, it's significant that Fort Worth Fire has now adopted an air code. Very nice. Very nice. Dude, you're passionate about it, man, and it's a great, great cause. (laughs) Uh, Is this this a a moment where we can break for a minute? Are you ready? Go for it. 
Yeah, I'll, no, I'll here's do, what I, I'll do house. Hey, here's what I'd like you to do. Okay. I'd like you to talk to him for a minute about what I just talked about. What the, what resonated with you? And the, uh, and I'll listen. The firefighter air re, uh, replenishment. No, no, system? I'm sorry about the culture stuff. Oh, the culture, the culture stuff. stuff, dude. <laughs> you you said it best when you said the wind in the sails. When I hear someone else that you know, I agree. I don't want to sit here and say I say everything you say, but when I hear you say it, it just puts the winds in my sails and saying I know I'm going the right direction. Does that makes it's that it's that affirmation of it's that just want to say thank you, you know, yeah. thank you, and oh. uh, and well, I'll be back in a minute, brother. Go, and we'll go pick do it your up, thing. Okay? I'll talk. To, I'll do the housekeeping. I do at the end. I'll do it now instead. All right, so we're going to come back and talk about the art of the go no go process. Uh, his rescue profile, building profile, fire profile, and the constant loop that he uses. So if you're hanging around on this Saturday evening, Mikey G will be back to talk about that. So the other stuff I want to say, and I'll probably say it again at the end, but I'll say it now. If you want to support the scrap, go to firehousevigilance.com. Go there. Shirts, merch, all back in stock. Still hard to get Richardson hats. It's a broken record. But, yeah, Richardson 112 is hard to get a hold of. But there are some of the more popular hat colors are in. Uh Coming up next, Rob Fisher next week when I get back from Georgia, followed by Chief David Rhodes. So March is is killer. It's going to be an awesome March. Um, if you see me any of the any of the conferences, tell me, hey, let's get a picture. Mutts don't scrap. I'm getting ready to make the North Florida Fire Expo video and post it up. Um, and other than that, if you think the scrap brings value to your firefighter life, go support the show. FirehouseVigilance.com. I want to say a huge thank you to Kyle Condiff and his support. He is huge for spreading the word on diabetes and the first responder world. So Kyle Condiff, absolutely. Thank you, brother. Um, and that's all the housekeeping and perfect timing for all the housekeeping. I got to, sorry, I got to get a throat lozenge, man, or I'm not going to have a voice to finish up. So well, I told him, I told him that you were going to come back and talk about the uh, art of go and no go. And, yeah. and so that's where we're headed right when you got back. Okay. Well, beautiful segue. Um, so the, the art of go, no go. Um, I, I love the opportunities I get when I get to like go teach somewhere and in the morning do this house rocks yes. and talk about the firehouse and just what a kick-ass firehouse, just how that just, you should want that with everything you've got and be willing to just sacrifice what you got to sacrifice, do what you got to do to try to make the firehouse as kick out as, as it can be. Cause it, it's going to, you're going to spend the majority of your professional career in the firehouse. Right on. I know you're, you're not going to spend it, you know, rescuing somebody on a bent in search. Although I hope you get to do a bunch of that. You're going to spend a ton of time in the firehouse with fellow firefighters. And you want that to be a great experience. And I don't want to interrupt you. You asked me what resonated with me. And I want to say this because when you build that house that rocks, the other stuff takes care of itself. The other stuff falls into place. The training. A lot of it does. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of it does. So anyway. you bet. Just, like get, just like getting a fire, right? Yes. Fire you, get, you get a everything. fire, and all of a sudden, everybody <laughs> stops bitching and moaning yes. about whatever they were bitching and moaning about. It's like, ah, yeah, whatever. It'll work out. Right? You're going to be all right. <laughs> all right. Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. No. Um, so I, I love being able in the morning to start with This House Rocks and talk about the firehouse and then lead in in the afternoon start with go no to do go no go because it's kind of the two things to me that resonate the most with me in the fire service it's that camaraderie of the team that that place that firehouse and then it's kicking ass at fires yes you know, doing a good job at fires and, it, and that resonates with me more than, than anything else does 
Um, go no go. I, I think the the title. It's sometimes I think people get twisted up on the title. Um, I think sometimes folks say, "Well, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to tell us not to go into fires?" And it's like, "Well, if you if you know me at all, <laughs> you would know that that's not the case. That's not you true." I mean? Yeah, no. You know, the the reality is the majority of the fires that you're going to go to, at least at some point in the fire, you're going to make some kind of interior attack on that fire. That's the reality. And, and rightfully so. Right. You know, majority of the fires you go to, it's just the way it is. Some of them you don't go into right away. you got to clear a path. But you're to put the fire out, you're going to go in. It's, you don't put them out from the outside. Let's put it that way. You burn them down from the outside. You don't put them in from uh, put them out from the outside. Um, the go-no-go process is geared more towards, in your mind, the first kind of 20 seconds of the fire, starting to cut through the clutter and actually evaluate what it is that you have and not what you think you have. It's going from you were just having a plate of spaghetti at the firehouse and arguing about, you know, football. And now you're in a life or death situation, you know, 30, 60 seconds later, you're in a life or death situation and making that transition in your mind where it's like, all this stuff coming at you, all this stuff and radios going on and people want you to give them information and, having to do a radio report and position the rig and all this cool stuff that we love, but it can be overwhelming. I mean, it can, and, it, and, and by overwhelming, I mean, it's not like you're going to lay in the yard in a puddle of piss, but it, it can, it can interrupt your decision-making sure. process and keep you from getting to the best decision possible. And I was raised on like acronyms and lists because that's just the, the fire. fire yeah. Yeah. Maybe, fire. maybe you guys are that way too. Yeah. yeah so it's, absolutely. Like, Coal was wealth was one of them, yep. you know, and I was lucky on that one. I mean, I, as an intellectual exercise, I got what they were talking about. Sure. As a practical exercise, when you're a half dumb trucky trying to remember the C, the O, the A, and the L in the middle of the night wasn't going to happen. So I, that one disappeared. But the one that I was raised on was Recio. So Recio, and then because it wasn't complicated enough, I had to complicate it. Recio VSAW, I added V, S, A, and W. Ventilation, salvage, access, and water. Because Recio didn't cover those, and those were important in my process. In your head, yeah. Uh, Well, so here's the thing. You know what that process was for? It was for promotion. Okay. That's what it was for. Because I wanted to become a lieutenant. I'm being an acting officer, I'm trying to you know learn how to set up things at fires and do a good job. But to become a lieutenant, I got to pass this damn promotional test, and I'm going to have three, four guys like you, you know, chief officers coming from out of town. They're going to be sitting across from me, and they're going to put a fire up, and I got to answer all the questions that are on their sheet. Right? This sound familiar to everybody? Absolutely. You know, okay. The formula allowed me in the two minutes to kind of sequentially go down the list and try to answer, check all those boxes, right? And I don't know what's on those boxes. I only have an idea of what's on them. So I go right down the list and I try to think, okay, risk, risk okay, exposure, okay, extinguishment, da, 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 da. You go right down the list. And since I don't know what's on that list, I'm just spitting crap out, right? Every one of you has been promoted. Don't yeah. tell me you didn't do that. Hell, I'm going to call in a, a helicopter strike because that might be one of the boxes, right? <laughs> well, now you go to a real fight. And what happens to that checklist? Right. It's out the window. Oh, I never, guys, <laughs> I never once at a fire used Recio VSAW, went through R, never once. 
And we screw ourselves up because we practice that way. We practice our training that way. We do that again and again and again. Then we get to the fires and our hearts pounding and the adrenaline is surging. And the fire that we have in front of us is not like the fire that was on the checklist. It doesn't follow a checklist. It's got its own unique little things. I was really frustrated. And so uh, in being critical of the checklist mentality, I have always felt like you try to, if you're going to be critical of it, try to come up with something that works. Nice. So I started to go back through the fires where I did a really good job and, and, and put those against the ones where maybe I didn't do quite as really good as I wished I would have done. What was the difference? How did I get out of first year, get to second year, get to third year? How did I get past that initial clutter of stuff and get to a good tactical decision that actually worked? Um, and this, so that process, this process that I used, it came out of that. Nice. It also came out of my belief in the um, kind of, there's more to it than just this, but the recognition prime type of decision-making model where you've got a slide tray in your head. Sure. You're, you're peeling from that slide train, comparing. It, it's, it came from that, but, but there's more to it than that. Um, I cannot remember a lot of things, especially when my adrenaline's pumping. I can't, I, I can't have a big, huge process list and try to decide between 10 things or 20 things. I can't do that. Those of you that are trying to do that, some of the, the loop stuff and that, what you're actually doing is you're trying to decide between 10 different options, what's the best, and what you're doing is you're finally going, oh, I got to make a decision. I'm going to take that. Right. That's what you're doing. You're not legitimately comparing. Them. But when I narrowed it down to three things for me and the three critical parts of the fire, there are other aspects to the fire. But these three areas jumped out as kind of the broad things that you need to kind of know what's going on, especially in the front end where you don't have all the information. It came down to, for me, rescue building and fire. If I can get a good sense of what's going on in those three areas, the information that I get from those three evaluative processes goes a long way towards getting me to a good tactical decision. Nice. And I may be completely wrong because you may learn stuff, you know, in the next two minutes that discount everything that you thought when you started. All you can do is with the information that you have, make the best decision possible. That's what I was after. Beautiful. And then as I get more information, I alter my decision-making process. But a bias, towards, a bias towards making a decision, though, right? Oh, you, you've, you've got to. Nobody right. else is coming, man. Yes, yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to. You, you've got to make a decision. You've got to act. You've got to move. And you cannot sit in the yard and evaluate your 10-step evaluation process for two minutes. Right. The whole time you're doing that, the fire's blowing and people are choking and dying. And, you know, you just can't do that. You've got to get to a quick decision-making process, getting out of first year. You got 20 tactical options. You got to do one of the 20. Beautiful. This process is geared towards helping you decide which of those or which couple of those are the best options and then moving and then going forward and then evaluating the process. Um, the One of the, the critical things that happens, every one of you on the front end, you get an initial impression of the fire. Every right. one of them. Right. Yeah. When you, when you show up, you pop up, you can't help it. Just by looking at it, based upon your experience, your time on the job, the fires you've been to, you get an initial impression of the fire. And that is going to be based on how much time, effort, energy you put into the craft. If, you, if you've studied, if, you, if you've gone to classes, if you've been to fires, if you have more experience, if you're purposeful about learning how to attack fire, what works and what doesn't, your initial impression is going to be better than the guy that doesn't. 
after you get that initial impression, and that's, you know, within the first five, 10 seconds of the fire, I purposefully force myself to take my eyes off the fire as much as possible. That's why rescue profile is the first thing in the process that works for me. Because it's a eyes off the fire. I'm not looking at the big dancing orange stuff, which it'll get a hold of you, man, right? 100%. It, yeah, it'll hold your attention. And, I, and I'm telling you, gang, within the first five, ten seconds, for the most part, you've seen what you need to see of the fire. Now, there are exceptions, but typically you've seen what you need to see. You'll get back to it, but you need to look at other stuff that impacts that tactical decision. Rescue profile worked for me because it set the risk level and it sets an initial risk level of what I'm willing to risk and what I'm not willing to risk at this fire. That's important because certain tactics drop off the board based upon the level of risk I want to do. Right, right. If, I'm, if I'm going more conservative, there's a certain level of tactics we use. If I'm going more aggressive on the fire, if I'm going more purposeful, there's a certain amount of tactics I use. And what you're trying to do is narrow it down to the decisions narrow down the amount of options you have and you start to think fast because now you're not deciding between 10 things you're deciding between two or three two or three i can right. think faster that way and i can get out of first gear and get rolling uh rescue profile it every one of these is not a big long evaluative process it's initial impression okay rescue profile what do i see here what am i saving it, am, I, am i looking at people here am i looking at property am i what am i looking at that affects my risk that i'm willing to take for my guys right on um, that goes a long way towards things like survivability. You know, do, do I see spaces within the structure that look survivable? I, the first question I ask myself in my mind is, are there survivable spaces? That question matters to me. It matters to me a lot. Um, I don't care what words you use. I know there's a conversation going on about this. Use what works, wh whatever you think. If you like survivable, if you like searchable, if you like tenable, if you like Kick ass and take nameable. I don't care. Whatever, <laughs> like last whatever, whatever it is in your mind that you use to describe, there are spaces in this structure that get my first attention. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you, tenable doesn't, tenable, I just don't like the word. <laughs> I like survivable. Uh, searchable, to be candid, searchable space doesn't mean a thing to me. It means nothing. Everything is searchable. Every, every space is searchable. Some of them we have to make searchable. But every single space in the structure is at some point searchable. It doesn't help me to narrow down where my first effort goes. You're, you're going to have to decide because this is not Disneyland. You don't get to search everything at once. You can't do it. Right on. And, and particularly when you're coming on an engine, a typical fire department, when you're leading in on an engine with what, two, three, four guys? You're going to have to decide what gets your first attention. Now, as more bodies arrive, you can divvy out more assignments. But in typical fire departments, you don't have 20, 30 people in the first, you know, five minutes. But we practice that way, right? Oh, absolutely. We we, yeah, we practice that way. It's like, well, I'm going to lay a primary line. I'm going to lay a backup line. I'm going to have a search team going to floor two and a search team on one. I'm going to send somebody around the back to do a 360, get somebody up on the roof. It's like pretty soon you've not only exhausted the entire department that's not there, you know, you got the two outlying mutual aid companies. You use those guys. And what in fact you have in the street is you got three firefighters. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna have to decide which spaces get your attention. What where do I go first to give me the best bang for my buck? Where do I what tactical decision sets up a good foundation 
for this job to develop as other bodies start to come. Incredible. That's why survivable spaces really works well for me. And, and you know, I, I know some folks will say, well, how do you ever know? I don't. <laughs> there, there certainly can be spaces that you look at and there's something going on in that space. You got orange blowing out the window. But somewhere in a closet, somebody got way back in the closet. It doesn't matter. You still have to get to them and knock the fire down before you can get to them. You still got to get to that space and knock it down. On the way, there are probably a bunch of spaces on the way that can be searched along the way. But you got to get to that space. You got to knock it down. You got to you got to make it survivable. And the best way to do that is to tactically decide what what's my best path. Is it the front door? Is it the side door? Is is it around the back? Is it up on a ladder? Figuring out which spaces get your first attention is the it's the crystal clear way to start you down a tactical path. And you know what? One minute after you make the decision, I got heavy fire here. There's fire blowing out of that room. It's completely engulfed in orange. Survivability is pretty limited. You know, even if you're behind a closet, by the time we get to you, <laughs> it's going to be tough. But this bedroom next to it, I know I can get to that. I'm making the decision to get there. We'll put out the fire and we'll see what's behind the closet. And then a radio transmission happens. The guy who's doing the 360 said, All right, command uh, engine 27. Uh, we, we have a basement fire. We've got three people trapped behind bars down here. Okay. Right? I got some new information. Yeah, no doubt about I'm gonna, it. I'm going to adjust my tactical decision with the new information I have. But because you're not following some damn checklist that tells you to do A, B, C, and D, you can respond fluidly to the information that you're getting. So, so rescue profile um, starts it off. What that does is it allows, it, it, it gets me to what my risk level is, what I'm saving. Um, for, for known savable lives, um, you're at the, the pinnacle of risk, right? You're, you're, you're going to risk everything for a known savable life. When you get away from known savable life, everybody's risk does a different thing. When you get to property, everybody's risk level adjusts to a different level. You have to decide that. If you, if you hear no other thing tonight, if, if everything that I said is crap <laughs> and okay. it's garbage and it's like, man, I hope there's a good guest on next time we do Please hear this from somebody who's done it for a long time. You are going to live with the consequences of your decisions at fires for the rest of your life. You're going to, we are not cutting out paper dolls. And I know there is a lot of conversation right now about, you know, every class now has aggressive, every single class. And, and, and we go through these cycles, just so you know, those of us who've been doing it for a while, we went through the aggressive cycle about 12, 15 years ago. And every single class had aggressive in front of it. If you didn't have aggressive in your class, it meant you weren't, you know, a, a gung-ho firefighter. And I'll tell you what, the pendulum that swings, I think it's productive. I mean, I, we, sometimes we go safety so much. We try to be so damn safe or unsafe. So we need people to nudge us and say, no, our job is people on the line and putting out fires and saving property as long as you don't allow it to take you into being a damn fool. Right. And getting to right. the point where here, here's what happens on the other end of the aggressive pendulum. On the other end of that swing, and we, we observed it, I've watched it. On the other end, you are going to start seeing firefighters get injured and killed unnecessarily. And there are going to be fires that you will evaluate in the post, the post operation. And you go, man, what are they doing in there anyway? There was nothing to say. You'll start to see that. And then we'll get a bunch of unnecessary deaths and injuries. And then the pendulum swings back and all the safety Nazis get to jump on board 
and say, oh man, now we got to wrap everything in cotton. I'm encouraging you to have a cult, be, be a culture of a firefighter. All right. The culture of the firefighter, we talk about all these different cultures, a culture of air management, a culture of search, a culture of extinguishment, a culture of leadership, a culture. In, in, a, in a nutshell, all of those things are fine. But I want you as a, as a thinking firefighter, I want you to be, be the culture of the firefighter. And the firefighter's job is to show up at people's very worst day and provide the best service possible. The very best service possible. And it involves all of those cultures. Nice. It, invo- it, it involves touching the shores of extinguishment and search and air management and leadership and teamwork. It involves all of those things. Don't get so isolated and locked on any one thing. And don't the, the word culture, Coralie, I don't know if you've ever talked about this. The word culture is an interesting one. OK, what's, what's the first four letters of the word? Cult. I like this. I like where this is going. You want to make sure, gang that you're wide-eyed and your eyes are open to what it is that our calling is and what we've been tasked to do. And the bombast and the color and the exuberant badass is very compelling, and I I will be quite candid with you. I gravitate towards that more than I gravitate towards, you know, let's wrap it in cotton. I, I enjoy that as much as I enjoy anything in the fire service. Right on. What you don't want to do is you don't want to allow your culture to become a cult. And I, I say that by the negative, the sure. negative tone I'm with of you. cult. Wrapped around an individual or individuals, so they're the only ones who have the answer. And if you don't jump on this team, and if you're not part of this team, you don't have anything to say. I'm telling you, that's a lie. It's garbage, and it's how people get hurt. And it's how a lot of people get excluded from the conversation. I am I have talked with in the last couple of weeks, I have talked with some young firefighters who have some brilliant ideas. And their ideas were crapped on and shit on and knocked down and demeaned and diminished because they didn't have a seat at the table or they weren't part of the cool kid club or this or that or this or that. That's what cults do. That's the cult part of culture. Make sure you understand. Please hear me. The stuff that I'm talking to you about today, I hope some of it makes sense and I hope you'll gravitate to it. I hope you'll use some of it. I really do. Thought a lot about this stuff, and I don't have all the answers, but some stuff I've done has worked. If I say something that's stupid, or I say something that you go, "Eh, man, I I don't know, Eh, I don't think so, but you do it because it's Mike, and you know, Brian Brush said nice things about me, and Corley said nice things about me, and I get to teach you fire engineering. If you do it because of that, because you view me as um, like a, a, you know, your leader or whatever, brother, when. If it's if I said something that's stupid and you put it into play and you get somebody killed on the fire ground, I, I may actually send you a note, right? I may even show up at the funeral, but I guarantee you I'll be I'll be gone. None of the guys that are telling you, you know, to go into fully engulfed buildings with no bunking gear on because that's what aggressive firefighters do. You know where they're gonna be when your firefighter is burnt to death? They're gonna be teaching that class somewhere. They're not gonna be on the ground trying to care for that family who are now going to live with the consequences of that bad decision for the rest of your life. You are going to own that decision. And this is not a, a diatribe to, to not be aggressive. I didn't even, I, I would never put the word aggressive in my class. Do you know why? It's baked in the cake. <laughs> Being aggressive is baked in the cake. If you're a firefighter, by default, you are moving 
with intentionality, with purpose, and there is tremendous risk in that movement. I don't mm. need to embellish in it anyway. I don't need to. I don't need to add to that. It's baked in the cake. The fire companies that are good are moving with purpose, intention, and competence, and training. That's that's how I feel about the stuff that we do. If it moves to a point where you now become unthoughtful, <laughs> you know, you become you become well, it's on fire. We go in, right? Uh, again, good luck. I mean, seriously, truly. Good luck with that. It, it's it, it's going to have some. We have these we have these uh, heartbreaks in our service. And I'm telling you, if you have never been to a line of duty death, if you've never had it happen, if you've never been involved in it, it it's going to change your life. It's going to it, it's going to change your life. Now, I will tell you this: I'm willing to risk everything, and I have a lot to risk. <laughs> At the class, I usually go through this. I don't have time here because we're probably already sure. way over. What we're do. <laughs> but I'm telling you, gang, known savable life. I'll risk my life. I'll risk your life. I'll risk your family's hearts being broken. I'll risk the fire department being devastated. I will risk all of the things that are truly at risk when we're putting it all on the line to go get that savable life. Our badge requires that of us. But when you start to move away from savable life, I start to navigate other realities. And we will risk quite a bit for property. We say property all the time in Seattle Park. I'm proud of it. I'm proud that there are businesses still but it's at a different level. There's a level of risk that I'm willing to take. There's a level of risk that I'm not. As a thinking firefighter, as a thinking company officer, you're obligated to go through some of that process and think about it on the front end. So rescue profile sets your risk and it starts your tactics in motion correlate. Now I get my eyes off of that. It's like, here's the other cool thing that happens by stopping, if I could. No, go. By getting your eyes off the fire and forcing yourself to look at rescue stuff, search, access, those types of things, survivability, that, those types of things. It, it cuts out all the other clutter, and it, and it gets to that part of your brain that when you went and saw all the good search classes that talked about, you know, here, here's where we normally find people in houses at night. Here's where the percentages are. Here's where Now, all of a sudden, you can access that stuff because you're not thinking about building construction. You're not thinking about fire behavior. You're not thinking about those types of things. You're in that part of your brain where all that good knowledge, you can access it, and it allows you to get to a quicker decision. Once you've kind of got that formulated, it's like, okay, that's where I'm going to start. Boom, now I go to building. What's the construction on this building? Is it going to collapse? Does, it, does my plan alter? Then we kick the fire. Okay, what's the fire doing? Is the fire going to chase me? What's it doing? And you're going to cycle through that process again and again and again as you get new information. Beautiful. You're going to learn more about the building when the guys go in and they kick radio transmissions out. You're going to learn more, right? You're going to, uh, part of the process is, is what I decided to do isn't working. Yes. You know, is that, yes. is that pre-connect through the front door to floor two to knock down that smoke and fire on that bedroom? I mean, I, I just sent Corley and his partner, I just sent them with a pre-connect through that front door on a two-story home. How long is it going to take when I see them disappear through the door to start to see a change in that fire meeting? Right. Right. How long would Start it take? Evaluate. Yeah, no. I mean, I want to see some change in conditions pretty pretty damn rapidly. I want to see the hose moving. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you'll you see the hose moving, and aren't you wanting to see some some dark smoke turn to a little turn bit light. lighter or something oh, yeah. within the first oh, yeah. minute? Or minute I would say like two that. minutes max is all I'm giving it. There you go. So you see, in your mind, you have a, you at least have from experience, you have an idea of what, of what it's going to look like. And in two minutes, if you're not seeing something change, there is something about the building inside 
that's different. Right. No, beautiful. not a typical open the door up the stairs to the hallway, bada bing, bada boom. And, and maybe and, there are no stairs. And I'll be honest, long before the two minutes, if that hose quits moving, then I'm, then I'm pinging. You know, I'm there you go. <laughs> I, so, so those of you that are listening, I would ask you to not get caught up in the things that we argue about, about our processes and just go to what you heard Corley say right there. How awesome is it for a couple of us to be talking about a line's going in? What what could it mean that, that, that it's not making it up? And now we're having the conversation. We're sharing experiences. Corley's sharing some things that you have never heard before, but now you have. Now you've heard it, even if you've never experienced that. Another guy pops up and says, yeah, man, we had that exact fire. It's, it's a two-story house. I sent the line in. It's like, where's the line? Well, it was a two-story house with no stairs. Mm. It was split. The stairs were in the back. The only access to the top floor was the back. Wow. Those guys, you may never have experienced that, but now there's a slide for it. Guys, it's it's brilliant. And it allows you in an environment where we don't have enough fires. We just don't. Yeah. It allows you to get sets and reps in your mind. And training this way is absolutely transformational. I'll tell you, in the in the latter part of my career when I started doing this, I was really calm at fires. And it didn't mean they all <laughs> no, didn't mean they all they went all went perfect, right? Yeah, no, no, it, it did not mean that. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm list, I listen to guys talk, and they have perfect fires, and I'm so envious. I didn't get one in 33 years. I just didn't get the perfect fire. Um, I think it's because I was the variable in all of those, so you know, <laughs> screwed it up. Uh, but no, but I, I'll tell you, there's a sense of calm because instead of being overwhelmed by the information. You've got a process to go through that's repeatable. And the more you do it, the quicker you get. Here, here's here's um, mentally or brain-wise why it works this way. When you start to do this process, if you like it, you're going to have to force yourself to take the eyes off the fire. You're going to have to tell yourself to do that because you're used to focusing oh, yeah. on the fire. If, after you tell yourself to take the eyes off the fire five, six, eight, 10, 12 times, you know what starts to happen naturally and you don't have to tell yourself? You start doing it. You start taking it. It's a habit. Yeah. yeah. And, and every single thing about this process, if you continue to do it, it starts to build that way. You start to be able to look at the building and go, yeah, survivable, survivable, survivable. Eh, boy, that one's tough. Uh, that one's tough. Okay, great. Now you've at least got a framework. It doesn't mean that you totally know everything that's going on. Right. But now you at least have a starting point of where you're going to start your operations, you have something to justify it. After you do that 8, 10, 12, 50, 60, 100 times, bam, it just starts to happen fast. It start, That's what you're after, thinking fast. It's like the game slows down. Man, it does, and it's so much fun. I, I, I'm getting <laughs> emotional about it. It's, <laughs> it's, it when it, it's so much fun to not be nervous, it's so much fun to feel like, you, you put all this time, effort, energy into storing this stuff in your head all this time. Now that you've got a process to access the different parts of your brain and actually get to that slide tray and make some decisions, um, I just think it's a, it's a ton of fun and everybody can do it. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It, it isn't reliant on how many guys you have at the fire. Right on. The amount of tactical decisions you can do do rely on the amount of guys that you have on the fire. But if you're only showing up with three, you do three firefighters worth of work, but you do the best work that the three firefighters can do. Prioritizing based off that. Yeah. Yes, man, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I want to get uh, 
I've already, I've already kept you like an hour 45, so I hope you're enjoying yourself. Uh, Gus Salcedo said this. He said, I've been seeing a trend of instant commanders announcing that the homeowner reports that everyone is out of the building. Basically, what's your thoughts on the homeowner's reports everybody's out of the building? What do you think of that? Um, you know, for the most part, um, I, I'm, I, I don't – I. What the intel you get in the street, we talk about this in the Go No Go class. I try to have a complete segment on this. Okay. You know, opinions are going to vary on this wildly. And again, you're going to be responsible for your own decisions. Um, in very few instances, the occupants are out of the building. In very few instances, does that alter too much what you do tactically? There are occasions where I feel like it can happen, but for the most part, your tactical decisions typically end up being the same. So it almost doesn't matter. I'll tell you where it does, at least experientially where it does. The information that I get in the street, if I get a credible report, and I, I'm not interested in what the dispatchers heard. That's, that's information, but it, that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. I need to be able to look the people in the eye. I need to have them in the street, and I need to look them in the eye. I need to see if they're drunk. I need to see if they're weird. I need to see if they're smoked up. I need to see if they're mental, you know. You have to evaluate them yourself. Yeah, a mom mom and dad out in the street with their two kids at the family, you know, landing spot who tell me, yeah, we're the only four people in the house. There's nobody in the house. That goes a long way. That's a lot more important of an evaluation to me than some smoked up guy saying, oh, nobody's in the house. Right, right. Tactically, I don't know that there's a whole lot of times when it changes it. I'll tell you where it does. It does under heavy, heavy fire conditions. In heavy, heavy fire conditions, especially like uh, I, I run one, I do it specifically. It's in a, in a story and a half fire with knee walls and the whole nine yards. If you get a credible report that I'm the only one in the house, there's no way anybody else could be in the house and it's a credible report. What that may allow you to do tactically is it may allow you to put a little more time in the fire attack. Right on. And get a good knock on the fire. It's not that you're not going to search. We search everything. Right. 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 Everything gets searched at 100% of fires. Every single space gets searched. That's a given. It's where it falls in the tactical decision making process that's critical. And search is on the search and rescue is on the front end of all tactical decision making. It's it, it's 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 why we do what we do. Searches, yeah. A lot of times that that search and that rescue cannot happen without some kind of water application or at least protecting a a pathway. You know, if you just if you just run in past the fire, essentially probably what that means for you is the victim's still going to die and then you're going to die with them because the fire got behind you and killed you. We got to have a protected pathway. At least in most instances, we do. Um, but search is going to always be at the the very tippy top because it's why we show up and it's the thing that we will risk the most for having said that when we get a credible report and 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 for those of you who i know some of you have uh i I watch the conversations going on i don't participate in them because the the social media conversations are unproductive sure (laughs) we can i can agree with one thing immensely with you on that 100 percent. yeah but you know you and i you and i could have a wonderful conversation about what we think about reports in the street. It would be productive. We're, we're going to listen to each other. And we, even if we come away disagreeing, it's going to be a respectful dialogue. Absolutely. Those are the dialogues that I'm interested in, even the ones that get passionate. I have listened to some of you say, I never listen to anything that people say coming out of the house. And I would, I would just respectfully respond back. You live with the consequences of your decisions. 
Um, I do listen to what they say. It just typically isn't for, is there somebody in the house? I'm more interested in things like, what's our best way to get there? Right. <laughs> Cause they know the house. Sure. Right. You know, in some instances, they can give you incredible insight in access. You know, there's a door right around the side that leads right to that. Bam. Awesome. I'm going to try to get somebody around the side and check that out. Right on. Um, and, in, and in some instances, you will get a credible enough report, especially in the ones that are intense fire. You'll get a credible enough report that nobody's in the house, that you're going to prioritize more of the fire attack that then leads you to getting to the search because now the spaces are surviving. Now they're survivable for you, you know, no, and then on top of that, they get you to the closets, the bathrooms, the closed doors, the other places where you might be able to do a better attack. Beautiful. No, that's a great answer, man. I love it. Okay. I always like to ask the guest book or books to suggest that firefighters should read. So, oh, um, well, depending upon the topic, obviously, um, if you're if you're looking at at leadership type of stuff, one that I would you know, and, and this house rocks, a, a firehouse that rocks. Uh, every single company officer in the ten years I was at Station Thirty One, every single officer got from me out of my pocket a copy of "It's Your Ship" by Mike Abershaw. Beautiful, and it is not a a lengthy tome. Remember, I was on a truck, so you know it can't be too lengthy for the guys, or they'll just eat it. You know, they'll just chew the page. But, um, it's a small, it's a small little book, but it's by a guy who took over a flailing team. His ship was a flailing team; it was in bad shape, camaraderie and the morale. And he did the core basic stuff that I think if we all sat in a room and we said, "What are some things you do to have a good team?" Mm-hmm. He actually did that stuff, and surprise, surprise in consistently doing that stuff and prioritizing and doing what he could do, not what he couldn't do in his circle of, of influence, doing the things that he could do. He turned that team around and it's a wonderful little snapshot of just average dudes, man, which is what, all what we are, you know, to, the, despite all the really nice things that Brian brush said and the really nice things that Corley said, um, the nice things that people are saying on social media and advances me doing this thing you and I are flesh and blood fallen sinful men and women trying to do a very difficult job. There are no superstars. There are no um, greater thans. There are flesh and blood men and women trying to do an incredibly difficult task that matters. The minute you put yourself on a pedestal or allow others to put you on a pedestal, I think you lose the sight of what it was that we wanted to do when we got into this. Your job should be to provide good service and to elevate those around you. I don't see anything in there about hubris or a pedestal or you're a, a, a god. <laughs> I don't see I anything it. in that, in, in what it was that, that I got into this to do in the first place. Beautiful. So It's Your Ship by Abrashoff is fantastic. Uh, there's a book on the more rock and roll side called, the, um, well, The Men, The Mission, and Me is really good. Nice. Um, I, I'll tell you one reason why I really like that book. I just love the title because it, it's my philosophy. And I know the fire service right now, leadership wise is disagreeing with this. It's the mission, the mission, the mission, you know, them, those people, they come first. This, And I understand the heart behind it. And I know the people that are doing it, the best, some of the best people I've ever met. And I understand the heart. Um, I, I would just add that my people always came first. 
they are first in my thoughts as, as a leader. Right. Because if I, if I empower them, if I train them, if I invest myself in them, if I look out for them, the rest of them out there that we're going to go serve get taken care of in a way that we can't even quantify. No, yeah, the mission wins whenever you take yeah, care I'm, of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, if, 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 you're, if your people, you, your people, if you have them at your heart and you're building and investing into them and taking care of them, the mission rocks. Yes. If the flip side is not true, I don't care how authentic and awesome the mission is, they're not prepared for what the mission asks of them. So that's why I like the title of that. Uh, there's one called In Extremist Leadership that comes out of the uh, it comes out of the like the special ops world, high octane stuff like what we do, but it's not just fire. Boy, there's some really good, cool stuff in that. You might get lost a little bit on the special ops stuff, but man, there's some some great, great, great. Stuff well, I, like hearing it. I like hearing it. I haven't read that yeah, one. So. Yeah, really good. And then another another great one is On Combat. Oh, yeah. Grossman is awesome. Yeah. On Combat by Grossman's fantastic because it, it will give you some insight into things that are going on inside you personally when you're under stress and you're under pressure. And quotes a lot in the marriage book, uh, interestingly enough. She, really? yeah, she well, did I mean, a lot of true. stuff because of what we do. Yeah. No, that's so, awesome. No, no. Um, no you know, no. T- you know uh, Firewise, every one of you ought to have a copy of The Art of Reading Buildings by Mittendorf and Dodson. Um, and then you ought to have a copy of Brannigan. Those, those two books on the building construction side, I think are, are absolutely crucial and essential. There's, um, you know, there's a bunch of great books on, on tactics and specific stuff. Um, uh, a newer one, uh, my buddy uh, Nick Papa did one. Good, great, yeah. great book on vent. Really great book on vent. Coordinated uh, you, ought to have, you ought to have Norman's book, the company officer tactics book. You ought to have that. That's the... To me, that's the foundational uh, Bible type of book on tactics. You may not resonate with everything that's in it, but it's a foundationally, yes. it's a really good structural book on that. I, I could, man, I could go on and Dude, on. There's just, I, this is like the who's who of, of what, what people should uh, be reading if you're in the fire service. It's a great. I'm not going to stop you. you. You can go on as long yeah, as Yeah, well, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, if you want an excellent book on, on uh, like, this house rocks type of stuff. Um, Scott Thompson's book on the functional fire company is mm. fantastic. Yes. And Scott's authentic too. Huh. You know, he's not a, he's not a dope that, that got a chief's badge and lost his mind. Um, he's a, I like, I like to think of, of guys like Scott, you know, Brian brush and guys of that, that caliber. They're, they're, uh, they're firefighters burdened by a chief's badge, I but they're it. still, fi- they're right. still firefighters. They no, got to do all awesome. the stuff that chiefs have to do. But those guys are, you know, they're just still firefighters. So love it. Uh, that that's a few. There, there's so many more. I could, man. I could. No, no, you're good. You, yeah, I could me. spit out if, twenty. If people just sit there and read those books, they're going to be so far ahead of the game. So, yeah. you've been on before. You and Ann got to do the first five questions for firefighters. But now, after we hit about a hundred episodes with five questions for firefighters, we went to the next five questions for firefighters. So, okay. Mike Galliano, <laughs> Captain Mike Galliano, are you ready? <laughs> For the next five questions for firefighters. Yes. The uh, questions are 100% your opinion, the answers to them, and the points are completely arbitrary and passed out by me. So okay. here we go. Number one, <laughs> what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Oh, my gosh. Um. Whew. See, I'm having to do the go no go process because I didn't cut through the. There's 20. They just went. Whoo. 
Yeah, start with rescue. Um, rescue. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Rescue profile. Get your eyes off the fire. Uh, gosh. I'll, I'll tell you. I, I think the probably the thing that distinguishes the people that I want on my rig more than anybody else is they fully understand why we're here. Mm. They they they're not they're less distracted by the clutter that's around us of the job because there's a lot of clutter. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that the job means to people. Oh yeah. But the the people that are awesome, I feel like in their minds they understand why we're here and they understand if I can put it into words, they understand that it's not about the noise. It's about the firefighter at your right and the firefighter at your left and the men and women that you are going to serve rolling out of that firehouse. And the, the, the responsibility changes as you go up the ranks a little bit, you know, so for chief officers, officers, that responsibility is for the teams, leading the teams, giving the teams what they need. But at the end of the day, the people that are good don't lose sight of the fact that there's politics that drive us crazy, right? Right. There's, there's crap runs that wear us out. There's stuff in the firehouse dealing with, you know, flesh and blood people who stink and have bad opinions. All of that clutter loses its power for the people who, who are locked into that's all true. Here's why I'm here. I'm here for you and I'm here for you. And I'm here to ensure that we kick ass when we roll out this door. When, when, that, when that is your character, your culture, it takes care of a lot of the other stuff that we bring that isn't quite as good. And all the rest of the stuff almost kind of naturally folds into that. Dude, that's Trust. beautiful. Trust and, and teamwork and training. And, but it all centers around you know why you're here. You, you don't lose sight of that. Dude, that is beautiful, man. Hundred percent uh, max points on that answer. Uh, not Yay. just not just the content, <laughs> the passion with which it was delivered. What, but, dude? I, I believe it. And now I want. I believe to, it. I want to be on your crew. So uh, uh, number well, two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Hmm. I think the answer for that is different for a lot of people. Okay. So you're just asking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I came to a bit later in my career, cause you know, I'm blood runs hot in my veins. I'm pretty passionate, you know, sure. so, you know, that brings its own problems. Absolutely. In case, in case you didn't, in case, those of you who are passionate, the blood runs hot, that can bring its own problems. I, I will never forget. I was in the air force and just full of piss and vinegar at this fire company, you know, and um, I was raging at the chief, which right now you recognize right now, a little, whatever I was two stripe airman raging at the chief. You can already see where the problem is there. Right. Right on. Um, the, <laughs> the chief was, the chief was threatening to discipline me because I was, a, I was upset with him. He took me off the crew with uh, a really good training officer. Even back then I knew I wanted to be with somebody who drilled and trained he put me with a really crappy officer and his rationale was I marry up my good firefighters with my bad officers and my bad firefighters with my good officers. Oh, it pissed me off, man. I mean, I, I, I remember saying to him, you, 
you got to be kidding me. You're going to screw me over because we're a good crew. And what the hell is wrong? Da, 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 da. And he came back with, you know, the way you're talking to me, you're on edge ground, young man. And I said, listen, chief, I'm a Christian. And I don't think God's going to let you do anything to me that he doesn't want you to do. And what I found out was God was quite happy to let him do a lot of things to me. That- <laughs> Uh, the hubris of youth, right? The, the the volcanic stuff of youth, that was about me. That conversation that I had with him, even though there was some truth in it, a lot of the angst and the anger and stuff was selfishness, and it was about me, the way I was doing it. Sure. And as a younger person, I wish somebody would have come along and said, take the job seriously. Do, because it's a serious craft. It's a serious call. Don't take yourself so seriously. Nice. I wish somebody had, it would have, it would have saved me some mistakes and some bumps and bruises. And you know what? Quite candidly, I still fight with it today. Uh, that's part of my, my makeup. I'm always going to battle that, you know, that passion, seeing, seeing what I want to be true and thundering through the brick wall, you know? Um, but if, if you could, if you could take the craft seriously, but leave your ego out of the way and don't take yourself so damn seriously, you'll enjoy it and you'll make less mistakes along the way. I love it. I love that answer, Mike. I really do. The story including, but the fact that you said it's, it's not just take the job serious because that's good advice, but it's not great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it is great, but it's take the job serious. Don't take yourself so serious and putting those two together, man, dude, a hundred percent killing it. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of selfishness that goes by the wayside. And, and this, this thing we do can, can breed its own form of selfishness. You know, that oh, this is the way, yeah, this is the way I want it to be. And I'm the one that has the right answers. And, you know, social media is so destructive for that right now, because you will just see posting after posting of, you know, well, look at what these clod kickers are doing. Look at these dipshits. Right. You know, we would never do it that way. And here is the one way to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're just substandard. And man, I just, I, uh, I wish that that was not a, a part of what we're doing. I wish, I wish it wasn't a, you know, a part of our thing. I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, uh, unproductive. Very much. So makes us less effective for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, what is your favorite training drill? Oh man. What well, a great question. I think the, I don't, the, this might not be specific enough for you. Okay. Um, I'll tell you the thing that warmed my heart and made me the happiest. Okay. I like it already. It was the drills that the guys did for the fire company. I enjoyed that as much, I think, as I enjoyed any single thing that we did. When a, There's something about watching another firefighter get empowered that they can impact the craft. They can impact the crew. What they have to say matters. The insight that they have, the way they do it the technique that they learned, the thing that they got from the fire at a fire conference. Uh, there's a, there's a flipping of the switch passion wise that occurs when that realization comes that it's not all on the captain, the trainers, it's not all on the senior firefighter and they're going to give us a lot. Right. But I got something to say and I got something that matters. And it's amazing too, extending beyond that. When you actually have that drill, and your guy did it. Your guy ran the drill. They they ran. They, we got a couple cars set up. And they ran us through a way to cut a door. And then we cut the door later that week. 
and it's awesome and it's better than what we did before. Um, I don't know if there's a leadership book written that's better than what happens at that learning and teaching moment. And so um, drill wise, I, I always, <laughs> that was so always, weird. dude, that was always just, that was always so much fun. And so I, I enjoyed those times, whatever the drill was. I enjoyed those as much as I enjoyed anything in the world. Anybody's going to argue. Amazing answer, man. Max points one through three. I don't know if I'm being a big so I try not to give out max points, and people laugh at me when I say that. I really do. It's a killer answer, man. The, owner, <laughs> the ownership involved. All right, number four. What mistakes have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Hmm. Yeah, once again, eyes off the fire, you know, right? <laughs> so many mistakes, so many screw ups. Um, probably it's it's split. There, there's a operational side and then there's the relational side, sure, sure. the leadership side. Can I do two? Absolutely. Yeah. So on the, on the, I'll tell you on the relational side of things. Um, and I still grapple with this. I grapple with it a lot. I have the scars from from this character flaw or defect okay, or, or whatever it is, whatever you call it. Sure. I, I have always got to remind myself that I don't have to win. It's not necessary that I win the argument or that I, that I prevail or that I crush the person on the other side of whatever it is that we're <laughs> engaging. In. Right. Um, and it, and in particular, and here, here's the reality for those of you are leading and it's almost even hard for me to talk about, um, it hurts. It hurts me to even not only admit it, but it brings back to mind the, the damage done. Um, I have I have injured my crew and injured my firehouse by feeling like it is imperative that I win the battles with the chiefs above me. And I've got some juice and some skills. Right. So I, I can I can win a lot of them because I've got some juice. And I remember in one particular instance and, and, you know, and the chief was wrong. He was so wrong that it pissed me off at such a level that I just wanted to destroy him with, with the fact that I was right. Right. And if I, and if I told you what the issue was, 999,000 of a million of you would say, you're right. That right. Chief was an issue. But I went about it in such a way that I crushed that guy. And I remember, uh, I remember my driver. He's a good friend of mine, ten-year driver. Again, the senior guy. And I remember him saying, "You know, you won that, but there's more of a war coming because you won that in the way you won it. And because that guy lost respect and, and he got overruled, and you crushed him, and you and it was obvious to everybody you crushed him. We got more of those coming, and he's going to want to come back. And and he did." And you know what? It didn't hurt me at all, but it hurt my guys. There was there was an, another issue that came up, and because of the relationship that I feel I caused, it hurt my guys. Terrible. I, terrible to even relive it or think it. And uh, you've got to remind yourself, it was an enormous mistake. Um, and that was about hubris, and that was about ego, and that was about more. I, I felt like mm. I should win the thing, and I should have done it. I should have fought the fight. But it was more about me wanting to prove that I was the man, that I was the big swinging, uh, I'll let, I'll, I was the guy. Right. 
it became more about that and it ended up damaging my crew. And for a leader, I'm not sure that you can have a bigger failure than that. That's probably one of the, the biggest failures in leadership you can have on the, on the, on the uh, technical side, on the fire side. Um, I, I would go to the go, no go process of just allowing it to become too big. When you allow, when you allow the operation to become too big, you get overwhelmed. You can't sure. make decisions. Um, and I have done that. I've allowed it. I've allowed it to become so big that I wasn't just dealing what was right in front of my face, you know, deal with what's right in front of your face. Don't allow. I remember one of the first things I asked a Lieutenant when I came in the fire department, excellent man, excellent operational Lieutenant, just excellent. I said, you know, man, you're so calm at fires and you're able to figure out what's happening. And and I remember he said, and at the time, I don't know if it made as much sense to me as it makes now, but he said, Mikey, you know, don't outsmart yourself. Nice. <laughs> don't, yeah. Don't don't overthink it. Don't right. don't make it more than it is. It's like you know, there's enough there to deal with. Don't make it more than it is. And I and I have made that mistake of making it more than it is. And here's a here's a um, a caution for you students of the game, because you are out there going to classes. You are seeing people's big events. You're getting exposed to a lot more than average firefighter is going to get exposed to. Don't allow the fact that you're exposed to people's big events make you want to create one of your own right right just just because one firefighter that you saw a class from went to a thing where oh there were four people packed behind the stove and da, 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 da. and so we altered our tactics and da, da, da. don't you know <laughs> don't make every fire the one big one that you saw deal with what's right in front of your face and do good qualified systematic fire attack love it if you stick with the core basics and core quality systematic fire attacks the majority of the time whatever the problems are that are in the fire you're going to resolve them because you're systematically knocking it out and then there's going to be one or two that are just going to be wackadoo yeah wackadoo it's going to be like there is no there is no there is no systematic approach to this it's like let god let's just survive this damn thing you know? love it <laughs> Uh, dude, and I will tell you this, man. One of my mantras in life, okay, and this is something I struggle with, and I know I identify with you when you said it to me, is the the choice between being right and being effective. You know, and they're, sometimes they're they're in line with each other. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes they are diametrically opposed, and and it's so easy to be right, or or it's so tempting. I'm right. You know what I'm saying? So I identify with what you're saying completely. Uh, but well, and and you know, it'll it'll it really jumps up Corley when what's happening on the other side is absurd. Yeah. You know, and, and, and in this case it was an, it was an absurdity. And so, you know, I, I was justified in my anger. You were right. But I, maybe, I, you know what, maybe I'd go back to that thing. I told you, I wish somebody would have told me when I was younger, take the issue seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Nice. nice. And I think, I think in that instance, even though I was, um, I was a grown adult by then and been in the fire service a long time, that old, tendency to fall back into bad habits i think i took myself too seriously in that incident and and my my crew suffered for it dude four for four uh max points 100 because killer answers um final final question question number five there is heavy fire there is searchable space would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on ves oh ves yeah no, I mean, you know what? There's there's nothing cooler, nothing cooler than putting water on the fire. That is so much fun. Um, uh, the re- and I'm not uh, I, neither of those operations are more important than the other. So it, it's not about that. They're right both on. absolutely critical to you know what? 
and just as important as the guy on the nozzle or first in on vent inner search is the guy at the pinch point. Oh yeah. And the guy, the guy foot in the ladder, you know, so, but here, the re- the reason I answer it that way is I love the truck so much. I loved, I loved, I loved being on the truck. I love the non-linear aspects of it. The, the fire attack, the, the handline stuff, I enjoyed the hell out of that, man. I mean, I did, but it's very linear. Right. You know, it was like, we got to, we got to get water to there. However we do that, we got to find a path. It was a lot more linear with some non-linear stuff along the side because we would peel off and search rooms and, you know, do things like that, but much more linear truck work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, it, when, it, when I would get every, every morning I would evaluate my crew when, when the truck, cause we had rotating crews all the time. We had people coming on trades and recruits and visiting people and whatever. So I would always just evaluate my crew for the day and I would determine how aggressive we could be for that day. Now I, that, I know that doesn't fit into the, the current model of you're aggressive all the time, but I'm an adult. And as an adult, I evaluated my crew and I can do different things. When I have my crew that's with me all the time, there is, there is nothing in the tactical toolbox that isn't available to me. Right on. Those guys are so good. They are such competent firefighters. They don't even need me on the crew. When I was off, when I was off on vacation or teaching somewhere or whatever, that crew didn't miss a beat. Those guys were rock solid. Now, you throw me one of those guys, somebody visiting and a recruit. There's a different aggressive level that I, I there's I have to approach that a little bit differently. It doesn't mean that we don't go full tilt, but there are things that I can do with my original crew that I cannot do when I've got a recruit or whatever. There's no, some things that I have to do at a different pace. Absolutely. Um, um, the when I would when I would get crews in and I always set, talk to the crew and I said, "Say so. Here's what we're here's what I expect when we come off the rig." I don't have big, long, extensive writing lists or that type of thing you need to memorize. We have some basic tools that people are responsible for, depending upon what we're doing. And there's about five different major things that we do on the truck. There's tip about five. Right. We may do 20 other things, right. but they fall into these five, you know, kind of different things that we do. Um, and then I would give them a basic set of instructions. I said, and then when we get there, I'm going to evaluate what we have. I'm going to be listening to the radio. I'm going to be listening to whether it's going good or going bad. I'm going to be listening to what the other crews have done. Or if we're first in, Katie, bar the door, we're going to do whatever the most important thing is at that time, whatever that is. Not what we want to do. We're going to do what the most important thing is for the fire that we have and for the people that we're trying to save. Love it. And then we're going to rock on. It's so nonlinear that it's just captivating. I loved it. I love the vent inner search is so nonlinear. Right I on. mean, even if you, uh, at some point, I'm hoping to get permission to show this rescue that Seattle Fire was just involved in. I have a sense, can't can't guarantee it, but I have a sense that there's a fire engineering cover shot coming nice. out of in the future for 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 my friend John Odegaard who took the shot. Um, I don't know about permission for the video and that, but it it's not the typical nonlinear, or uh, excuse me, it's not the typical cut and paste vent enter search on a training tower right. or on a standard structure there's complexity to it and i love that complexity that's the that's what drives the answer not the importance of it i'd i'd love to go through that window and bust through stuff and find somebody who would love that beautiful man and 100 percent earned 100 percent earned uh, max points on fire. You're an easy grader, dude. No, no. I wish I had you, I wish I had you in college. I take umbrage <laughs> with that because I really try not to pass out max points. I really do. 
It, it's it's a it's a thing I take pride in. So I want it to be earned each and every time. Now, the question six, this is the unofficial question six, because it's been asked a few times tonight. Can Captain shred on one of those guitars before the scrap is over? No, man. It's I, I feel like, thanks for the question, gang. I, I feel like um, it's like most everything in my life. I'm a lover of things with no talent. I love <laughs> So I uh, I love music, man. I love rock and roll. I, uh, you know, the the closest you come to a kick-ass house fire is being front center, you know, front row of a rock concert. That's those two places were in my life where I completely just let go and lose it, you know, and just 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 have a blast. But um, I, I don't know if you noticed or not. This one's really special to me. This is the newest one I got. Okay. Um, Paul Combs, that's the first guitar. I saw you post on Paul, it. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yes. Fire Service Illustrator Paul Combs. That's the first guitar that he bought with his own money to play. And he tricked it out and did all the art. It's called Skull Crusher One. And um, he blessed me uh, mightily by giving that to me. And so adding it to the collection, dude. That's yeah, awesome. well, and, and you know, and you talk about there you go. There's a there's an effort by an individual to try to put wind under the wings of a fellow friend and a fellow comrade. And it, it's an example of this is something that he can do that he knows I like, I dig it, you know? Um, so, so now he rides along with the signed Rolling Stones, the signed Van Halen and the signed Led Zeppelin. Right on brother. You know, in the, pantheon. <laughs> yeah. the, the Holy Pantheon. I love it, man. Um, there it is officially 130 scraps in the books. If someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, or get more info from you for your classes or, or to book or just to reach out to you and talk to you, how, what's the best way to do it? I think what they're probably going to say is, good Lord, you just talked for two hours and 20 <laughs> minutes. You can't possibly have anything else to say of any substance. So, um, no, I would love to come uh, teach at your fire department. I would love to hang out. Um, we do the, the This House Rocks class, on, you know, and the Go No Go class, the Situational Awareness class air management stuff, leadership stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Ann and I do the marriage class. Uh, we would love, very much love to come hang out and spend time with you. Um, you can get me on Facebook. Um, I, if you just look up my name, I, there's one or two guys, but you should, the red hair will give it away probably, you know, or pictures of my grandkids, um, the latest concert I went to. Um, my email is J at AOL.com, uh, M-I-K-E-Y, jay at aol.com i uh, do not need any crap about having an aol account i got <laughs> i got all the all the crap i needed about that from my crew members they thought that was the funniest thing in the world so i didn't know you uh, could still have one yeah that's exactly what they said is it is it dial up you know is it <laughs> so Beautiful. Yeah, no, it, uh, uh any of those and if you ping those i can send you a phone number to get a hold of me and uh I am I'm genuinely grateful, brother. You're, you're doing a really good job, and there's a reason that it's resonating. Um, I, I want you to know that I'm very observant about the way people go about their business. Um, I, the, things go sideways a lot in what we do, teaching and doing these things, and, and the egos and stuff can be very apparent, and uh, it's, it's not present there with you. And I'll tell you, I am absolutely just charmed by your lovely wife, She's so encouraging. The epitome of my better half, without a doubt. Well, dude, you guys are, uh, you, again, I watch, I observe, you guys are, um, you're modeling for the nation what a couple that's walking in tandem and 
loving the fire service and investing in the fire service, but taking care of each other and not allowing the fire service to destroy your home. Um, and I just think it's such a wonderful example. So I just want you to know I'm grateful to be a part of what you're doing. And gang, I, I'm sorry. I hope some of this made just a little bit of sense. I really do. So. Dude, I, I appreciate your kind words. Hey, and I know Amanda will too. Uh, one thing I will say, if you get a chance to get Mike in to teach a class, you will not regret it. Me and Amanda right now are working to bring, I want you to do the go, no go in the or the, No, this house rocks in the morning in the afternoon of go, no go. And then we're going to set it up for a, a firefighter, uh, marriage with you and Anne either in the evening or the next day. Cause it's just such a beautiful thing, but we're working on it. And I know we've been talking to you about it, but a hundred percent, this is not just me saying it cause he's on here. You will not regret it. So, um, brother, thank you for being such an awesome guest on number one thirty. Thanks for saying so. I have the, if you, uh, go to firehousevigilance.com, you get shirts, you can get hats, you can get coins <clears throat> coming up on the next episode is none other than Rob Fisher. And then closing mm-hmm. out March, we have Chief David Rhodes. So March, I mean, look at March, man. It, it was start off with Steve Stawecki, Mike Galliano, Rob Fisher, David Rhodes. How beautiful is that for March? Um, if you see me at a conference, I'm going to be in Georgia this next week, and then I'm going to be up in Catoosa. So if you see me, get a picture. Tell me, hey, can we get a picture, Chief? Mutts don't scrap, and let's do it, because I want to take pictures. I really do. Um, if you think the scrap brings value, go to firehousevigilance.com and support it. Again, huge thank you to Kyle Condiff, latest supporter. Um, he is big on spreading the word on diabetes in the first responder world. Everybody, Mike Galliano, unbelievable guest, scrap number 130. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.